Hey, folks, how are you all? How you all doing? Everybody doing great? Fantastic. Awesome. Let's get into this. <laughs> all right. So I, I thought about just doing a whole overview of John Candy movies, but I was thinking this well, this does well. I mean, next year is the 30th anniversary of Uncle Buck. And then we have we have like other uh, summer rental, um, delirious, Canadian bacon, wagons east, uh, and obviously Uncle Buck. I think there's a couple others in there that we haven't discussed. And uh, so this episode we're discussing going berserk, the great outdoors, only the lonely, and I wrote down what was the fourth one we watched? Oh, uh, uh, who's Harry Crumb? Right. Uh, I will say a uh, great outdoors was the one uh, I was most familiar with. And of course, you know, there's this classics like Uncle Buck and all that. I've seen him in, oh, uh, and Only the Lonely, what I did notice, like his nephew was Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Whom he worked with before in Uncle Buck. And of course, Only the Lonely is a Chris Columbus movie. I I, I chose these movies for different reasons. Um, And we'll start at the beginning. Now, he had been on SCTV and built up a fan following, and he showed up in Stripes and National Lampoon's Vacation and started building a bit of a name for himself. Now, when you hear about going berserk, it's usually because it's in a three-pack with The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck. And those movies are legitimately Universal Studios movies. You know, they had a deal with John Hughes. John Hughes and John Candy were really intertwined for about six years there. And this is before all of that. Um, True, he had been National Lampoon's Vacation, which John Hughes wrote. Um, But... Going Berserk is a strange movie. It's not good, but I picked it for a particular reason because it's his first lead role in a studio release. He had done some small Canadian films before that, like Find the Lady and Loose Shoes. Um, It's a Canadian purchase for Universal. Um, I I don't even know if it was really meant for an American audience, but you can feel the whole SCTV quality um, of this movie, and it shows up in a bunch of his films because he was really locked in with his uh, friends from that TV show, and would appear in like you know Armed and Dangerous was him and Eugene Levy, uh, Paul Flaherty ended up directing um, Who's Harry Crumb, uh, Martin Short's brother wrote Speed Zone, which is AKA Cannonball Three, which him and Eugene Levy show up again, and uh, Once Upon a Crime, which is a big comedy with like tons of names in it. And that was, I believe, directed by Eugene Levy. Right. And I would say this, in Going Berserk, like his friend is uh, Joe Flaherty, who makes an appearance in Harry Crumb uh, with him as well. Oh, yeah, right. I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah. Joe's the one who I think struggled the most. For some reason, he didn't break out like Rick Moranis and, um, uh, shit, directed, um, damn it, the one who died, Harold Ramis. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of people remember Harold yeah, Ramis was in the like first this. season of SCTV. Right, Flaherty, uh, he would definitely be a little supporting, uh, he would always have a supporting uh, part here and there. Oh, uh, Freaks and Geeks, he was... Um, right, Happy Gilmore. He was the dad. Yeah, oh God, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> I remember he had made. he had a show that was made in Canada, but uh, packaged for, I think, the family channel called Maniac Mansion, which I think was based on a video game. Maniac Mansion. Yeah, I feel like it was on for like four seasons, but I'd have to, I just remember being on all the time. At my uncle's house because he was just a little bit older than me and he would watch these sh- the oddball stuff on Nickelodeon and Family <laughs> Channel. And I never really watched any of it except for you can't do that on television. Um, oh, wow. He was always looking out for like the weird stuff. So he was into the stuff before I ever was that was off kilter. I will. Yeah, I will say this. My gosh. Uh, going berserk. I, I thoroughly did enjoy it. Uh, it did kind of throw me off. I thought uh, Pat Hingle, who's 
best known as playing Commissioner Gordon in the uh, Tim Burton uh, Batman films. Yeah. And I mean, for for our generation, well. he was in a bunch of stuff before our generation. Like, I know, remember him from Maximum Overdrive as a sleazy uh, gas station owner. Oh yes, but um, in Going Berserk, I thought he Pat Hingle was going to be the villain, but no, he just turned out to be an asshole who happens to be his future uh, John Candy's future father-in-law. Yeah, uh, Ernie Hudson uh, has but... a small appearance in it. It, it. Here's the weird thing about Going Berserk: is it feels oh. a little bit like the. Um, the Cheech and Chong movies, where they're vignettes. There, there's an overlying arc, you know, for the movie, but it's not um, one big story. It just seems to stop in these little bits and pieces and then continues. Um, there's the, my favorite part, and why the reason I enjoyed this movie so much as a kid was the kung fu sequence, which was which is so insanely ridiculous uh, that John Candy would be like a ninja warrior who goes around with a little beanie with a little spinning propeller on top of it. And that was what his crew wore. And it was all about, like, I guess he worked for a guy that made really, really shitty, low-budget, uh, Z-grade movies, which is Eugene Levy's character. Yeah, and he's like this producer. He's just trying to, like, you know, cram his business out there and trying to make money as much as possible. So he's also looking to his friends, you know, for cheap reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to help him with his movies. So, yeah, oh, it, it's God. not the best movie. It's just kind of one of those early on just kind of curiosities. But he has fun. And just like Who's Harry Crumb, which is also very flawed, it, it lets him do a lot of the stuff that he would do on SCTV is just play random characters, like have just uh, all sorts of fun with almost like a sketch-based movie. Right. I'm trying to remember who else was – oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, Allie Mills. I've seen her in plenty of other things. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. She was uh, the, the mom in Wonder Years. Which, okay, she the Wonder Years. I thought maybe it was the mom on... Uh, I thought the mom from Just the Ten of Us was on there. Is, who is the one that he's going to marry? Was that Allie Mills? Or was that the sister? Yeah, Allie Mills was the one he's... Allie Mills was gonna, uh, who he was going to marry. Okay. I, I didn't think that was right. Um, I'm going to look this up real quick, because I thought there was another cast member in there that went on to big things. Going bizarre. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Kurtwood Smith was in there for a little bit too. Oh nice, yeah. Oh, he's right, 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 right. I forgot before when he still had hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was, I thought was funny about Ernie Hudson's uh, little bit? <laughs> he ended up dying, and his friend thinks he's alive the whole time. Oh <laughs> right, that was ridiculous. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's where people got the idea for Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, almost. No, you're right, Allie Mills. Like she's movie. from Wonder Years. I so thought of a different actress. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who else uh, who else I recognized, except maybe Richard Libertini. Oh, right, and I didn't realize that he had... I had never seen um, Barney Miller, so I didn't know he was from that, but I knew him from um, uh, All of Me with Steve Martin, where he plays the guy who goes, bowl, bowl. <laughs> I don't know, I just remember yeah, that being really funny. But in this one, he plays um, uh, one of these crazy cult leaders... Kind of like the guy that was up here in Oregon who ran, I think, a Sun, Sun Young Moon or something like that. I can't remember. There, there was a cult leader that built an empire. Yeah. Yeah, and he hypnotized everybody through, like, you know, music or, like, particular commands and this uh, routine. And they tried to do that with John Candy in this movie. And it ended up backfiring at the end because he loves TV too much. But <laughs> that whole segment of, like, you know, trying to hypnotize him with that, you know, leave it to beavers kind of show was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah that was weird uh you oh, know i God. can't even find a picture of the mom from just the ten of us but i could have swore that it was the same lady but i'm i'm obviously not right um okay so let's back to the thing okay so going berserk yeah that that's one that's uh, just a curiosity 
Uh, it would be the next year is when he blew up with Splash. And then he had the Volunteers, which I've tried so hard to enjoy, and I just don't like it. It's noble. And it has a really big budget and a great cast. Tom Hanks, John Candy, uh, uh, Tim Thomerson. So they go over to like some, I think it's over like some Hawaiian island or something like that to do missionary work. Uh, not good. I just can't get through it, dude. It's so boring. Right. Yeah, no. Um, as for, Well, honestly, I've never watched The Volunteers. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, some people like it. I just don't. Um, Summer Rental is the one where I think that was the one that got him out there as a lead. It did well. Oh, yeah. That thing was on HBO nonstop. Um, Armed and Dangerous was another one that was on HBO all the time that did okay in theaters. But it was uh, 87 is when he blew up. Uh, Spaceballs was huge. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was huge. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. What else did he come... What else came out in 87 for him? Uh, just those two. It was 88 when he did... Uh, 88 is when he did Hot to Try, which he just did the voice of. And I believe, if I remember correctly, Elliot Gould was the first voice of the horse. And they thought they couldn't oh, sell wow. the movie with his voice, you know, like on the poster. So, like, let's go get a name. And they got John Candy. Um, that's a fun movie. It's not good, but it's fun. Um, Bobcat Goldthwait's only real, like, studio um, lead role, even though uh, a couple years later he would do Shakes the Clown, which is far superior, but that was a small independent movie. Right. But after that, he ended up doing a Hot to Try. Oh, yeah, she's having a baby. Well, he's but in a he cameo. Have... He's only in a cameo. So yeah, while they were shooting The Great Outdoors, Chris Young... Um, I think Dan Aykroyd and John Candy just did uh, a, a bit where they just come on and they say, what should the na- the baby's name be? And they just say a name. That's it. He's only on the screen for like five seconds. Yeah, no, that I thought was pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's pretty fun of them. It's like, hey, uh, do you guys just want to help us out real quick with this thing? All right. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, like they didn't get credited. Great Outdoors. However, great Outdoors. Oh, my God. That is the classic. Uh, I mean, that is one – I think everybody has seen The Great Outdoors. It did okay at the time, but this is one of those things that just blew up on video. And it was on HBO nonstop. And I, to this day, I mean, I carry it in my store. And, you know, it's just the one John Candy movie that just is a perpetual summer sell because um, I think everybody can associate with it. I mean, everybody has that uncle that's a complete tool. The strange cousins being in a, a weird place for just like a week or two where you're not really uh, a resident, but you know, you're longer than just you know a, a weekender, right? Yes, I mean, and of course, you know, the whole camping getaway, you know, small town kind of uh, kind of experience is, is definitely needed for like getaway being out on the lake. I mean, me personally, I just love those kind of settings, and you know, the things you see in this movie, like. <laughs> How they're all like, um, John Candy's like trying to, you know, spend some quality time with his family, trying to have everybody connect. Of course, like his son, uh, his sons end up being a little bit more game instead of like, you know, stereotypically resilient to the whole idea because, yeah. you know, they want to be back doing their routine and all that. But, I mean, the, his oldest son, the teenager, uh, the older teenager, the high schooler, ends up falling for kind of like a small town girl. Oh my God. I had such a horrible crush on her. Lucy Deacons. Oh my God. I mean, who couldn't? I mean, she was lovely. And, I, I mean, honestly, that was a whole cutesy kind of moment. It did give uh, gave his son, uh, you know, character. Well, it's also, I mean, it, it also gave a lot of depth to their uh, relationship. And they're, they're clearly up front with, look, you're only here for a short period of time. I'm not some floozy that you can sleep with, you know, uh, over the summer and then throw away and tell all your friends about me. 
Um, so the, John Hughes really put a lot of thought into those characters. Yeah, I know. And it was really nice. And, you know, he, he definitely felt guilt for, like, you know, leaving it there because, you know, freaking Dan Aykroyd had to be the tool and tell him to eat, like, you know, have John Candy, you know, challenge that, you know, giant tomahawk steak. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you got to eat the grizzle, too. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, the fat and the grizzle. Oh, oh man. That's I'm so not, disgusting. Um, other memorable parts in that, I, the part where he's such a jerk that he's just like, oh, hot dogs, oh, lips and assholes, uh, let's throw on the lobster. And I think it was, what, 20 bucks a pound or something insane. He's just showing off. But, you know, you don't realize until later in the movie that he's completely flat busted and he's there to ask for money for a loan. And um, I, I, it's weird. I guess it's he his defense mechanism that he couldn't admit that he was in trouble financially. So, therefore, he makes up this whole situation of just him being, like, highfalutin, you know, uh, paying the ass. Uh, which is an interesting take on the character. I think Dan Aykroyd's more interesting when he's kind of a dick. When he's the straight-up lead, uh, it, it doesn't usually work. I, I love watching him as a supporter or a co-star. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I think his best work is in supporting cast. And, yeah, for again, you know, as he was mentioning, that whole loan and that you know business proposition, he just couldn't do it, uh, do, um, go through with it. He felt he, His wife, uh, Annette Benning, love her, she straight up, you know, kind of, you know, made him realize something, and he was immediately just started feeling guilt right then and there. Yeah. But still, in the end, it all kind of works out. But the the whole, uh, oh gosh, the the story with the bear. Oh, he legendary. <laughs> I love how he just like scares the shit out of his family, and his family's just like completely out of it, like completely thrown off. Yeah. Not like, oh, great story, you know, this and that. It's like, great, I'm not having. This. Yeah, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you do that to us? That's just a story. I didn't, I didn't know that it was gonna. <laughs> like, come on, we're all we're all having fun here. Um, of, of course, you know that pays off in the end. But there's another bear sequence before that when he puts the candy on the. Uh, I didn't know bears could eat candy bars or be even interested in candy bars, especially if they're still in the wrapper. He throws it on his oh, yeah. windshield, thinking it's like, yeah, let's get a better look at the bears, and he's like, oh. Oh, no. Now the bear's just going to stay on my hood. I, I don't know what to do now. Let's turn on the windshield wipers. <laughs> just driving down the road with a bear on his car. <laughs> For real. Oh, my God. The weight of the bears, too. It's like, God, those guys are just pure muscle. They could tear you to shreds in a heartbeat. But anyway, yeah, no, that was another thing. He's just throwing all those agnets, and there's like four other bears on his car. And he's like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. Shoot. Get off. It's like, dude... <laughs> That's not the kind of situation that happens in real life either. <laughs> the um, I love the the bar sequences with Robert Prosky um, as oh, the, yeah. the bar owner, or whatever. He's just like one of those great cantankerous coots, you know. I love him, and Christine. But um, when when there's that that guy there for his hundredth birthday and the kids are on his lap, he's like, I don't like those kids being on there. Uh, uh, can you get them off the? He said they're not doing any harm. He's like, no, 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 I just don't like them being on there. Uh, well, and they go to give him a kiss. Like, oh, oh, don't do that. No, I'm, he uh, he he passed away uh, two hours ago. Oh my god, get him off. <laughs> wash your wash your faces, wash your mouths. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Oh no, or the jet ski bit where it's like he he's like, wait, is that the signal to go? That's the signal to go. <laughs> you bastard! He's saying go faster. You bastard! <laughs> oh no, but then at the end, like when they're trying to save, uh, you know, the two the twins, yeah, uh, in the cave, Dan Aykroyd ends up saving them himself by climbing up the damn thing, and then, of course, lack of communication, you know, 
uh, John Candy ends up going down there and saving the fucking bear. <laughs> the bald bear. Doesn't he shoot the bear in the oh. ass? Like, it's, it's bald yeah, on top and on the butt? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And even the raccoons mention it at the post-credits. Uh, fucking love those. I love those raccoons. They're so funny. <laughs> Especially when they're like, it's like the, he put the garbage cans in the house. Do you think that, that's going to stop us? <laughs> when they got back, the whole house was a mess. Um, my oh, favorite man. line in the entire thing is when they talk to that guy about being hit by lightning. And, and by the way, Gary's dad from Weird Science um. Uh, they're like, how many times have you been hit by lightning? He's like, six, 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 six. Oh my God, you've been hit by lightning six times, sixty-six times, sixty-six times. Holy shit! Well, that'll make your hair look like a skunk. Oh man, yeah. But then, of course, during the end credit sequence, like with the whole big dance off. Oh my God, I love it. Land of a thousand dances. Uh, that is that's such oh, yeah. a fun song. It is. It is such a fun song. And, you know, that's definitely, that kind of song is like right up Dan Aykroyd's alley, of course, you know, personally with Blues Brothers. And, oh, totally. You know, his friendship with jo- John Belushi. Uh, man, no, again, uh, a great, uh, great Outdoors is something I could watch again and again. The, uh, the next year is when he came back with uh, Who's Harry Crumb, which at times feels like Fletch 3. Like, it was a rejected Fletch script. But he saw and said, hey, it's shooting in Canada. I can be with my friends. My friend is directing this. Um, actually, I can't tell. I, some of it looks like it's filmed in Canada, but some of it looks like it's filmed in Los Angeles. So I, I'm not sure about this. But also the fact that he gets to bring out the SCTV persona again, where he gets to play all sorts of crazy characters. I love the character that gives the massage with the gigantic beard, and it falls off on the crotch. And he's like, ah, oh, I, uh, and he slaps it on. No, it was his chest hair. That he it was there and he yeah. and he puts it on his face. Oh god, yeah, he's supposed to be this like high profile like freaking <laughs> beautician. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, there was, that was ridiculous. But and then there was the part where he's installing the air conditioning. I was like, oh, oh that was great. God. Uh, so this one's <laughs> packed with those you know actors that were only around like at that time period. You know Jeffrey Jones, um, uh, Tim Thomerson, uh, Shawnee Smith from Summer School and The Blob. Uh, from Ghostbusters. Annie Potts. Annie Potts. Um, who else is in this? I feel like there was a bunch Barry of Barry Corbin. Uh, oh yeah, Barry Corbin. Now, yeah, he was in a bunch of oh. stuff this time period. Valerie Bromfield uh, the, as a detective. I don't know who that is. Let me look at the name. Oh, she was. Oh, she was in Nothing But Trouble. Oh, was she? Okay, see, Nothing But Trouble is one that I've tried to wipe from my memory, and I know eventually you're going to force me to watch this so we can discuss this. I'm not going to be happy about it. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to force it to, but, you know, but I would recommend it. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, so there is another actor in here that's very interesting. He always talked kind of goofy, like real slow. His name's Wesley Mann, and he is in a legendary episode of Night Court where uh, they're in a hurry. Dan Fielding is in a hurry to get out because he's got a hot date, and they have to fit all these court cases in in a very short period of time if he's going to make this date. So he rushes all the court cases, and he gets to the end, and the guy, Wesley Mann, he's playing a character called Turtle, and they don't understand why he's called Turtle. And basically, he's just like, Hello, Judge. How are you? And watching as Dan loses his shit over it, 
uh, is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, uh... <laughs> trying to oh, find man, a video on. of it. Um, maybe it's here. It, oh, let me see if I find it. I'm gonna pause this because this is unnecessary to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it's visual, so it's kind of terrible that we do this. I think it's this demo reel on IMDb. Put that up. What? I'm going to send you the link for this, but you guys got to look this up. It's called uh, Night Court Come On Speedy, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the show. Um, but uh, Oh, he was in Adventures in Wonderland? I, I want to say he's also in one of the Back to the Futures. Hey, I think he is that guy. I think I know that guy in the second one. You know when he goes back when Biff punches him in the face? Oh, the CPR kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he was also the Caterpillar in Adventures in Wonderland. What is Adventures in Wonderland? Why don't I know what this is? Oh, it's uh, it was a live-action TV show, I think, on... Uh... Of uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, where they had the Mad Hatter. Even Gilbert Godfrey was in an episode. Okay, okay. Uh, by the way, none of this has anything to do with Harry, who's Harry Crumb, and we slowed down the episode severely. I apologize. Um, My bad. Yeah, Harry so who's Crumb, Harry Crumb definitely. is one that's really flawed, I think, in its structure and its story. But there's so many fun gags and characters that John Candy plays. It's really hard to hate it. Oh, God, even just his main character, like, with that little, like, Conan O'Brien, almost little, you know, uh, oh, the curl. Oh, yeah, the, the red coiffed hair. Yeah. There, there's a scene. And, okay, and you're going to have to go back to it. Okay, so there is a sequence where there's something on a tree that falls down in his office. He's, like, sitting at a desk, and I think it's a fruit tree or something, and it falls down. And if you look to the right, you see a hand with a black glove come up and grab the item that fell off the tree and bring it down. And I cannot believe they left that in the movie. I'll have to look into that. It's crazy. I just, like, I rewound. I was like, did I just see what I saw? And he's like, yeah, there's an extra or a, a PA, whatever, behind there on the desk, puts his hand up, grabs the orange, whatever it is that falls from the tree, and brings it back down. And nobody watched the dailies and said, oh, we got to do a second take and change the camera angle. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> no. no. But but the thing is, Harry Crumb definitely felt, uh, had, had some cartoonish elements for sure. <laughs> In particular, when they're spy when he's spying on Annie Potts and uh, her lover, uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Thomerson, like in their little boat, and uh, he starts he slides down, goes to the uh, goes to the window, and then he's on that ceiling fan in this like uh, seafood restaurant. That oh right, right, the kid, yeah. And he's like holding on for dear life, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, just the fact about um, even at the beginning sequence when you see him with the Don King hair and the mustache <laughs> as he's like swinging back and forth on the you know. Oh, gosh. Whatever it is, the little paint stand, that one that painters use. Right, yeah, yeah. They're on the lift, on the paint, on the painting lift. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it breaks apart and it goes flying. <laughs> Flies right through a hotel after a guy's accusing his wife of cheating on him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, Harry Crumb? Oh, it's for you. <laughs> the uh, oh, yeah. This is during that heyday when Jeffrey Jones was getting a bunch of work. And it's really sad that he turns out to be kind of fucked up, you know, and, you know, take away his career, rightfully so. I just I I don't like seeing a good actor turn out to be a disgusting person. I know it's like gosh, can that? Oh, all it's right. A shame. I actually like I really liked him too. Yeah. Uh, especially after Beetlejuice. 
Um, so our fourth and final film that we're going to discuss in this episode is Only the Lonely. And I picked this one because I think it's his finest performance. It really locks down the sensitivity that he was so good at portraying. You know, a lot of times he played obnoxious characters. But if you watch the end of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, it completely changes your perception of that character. And Only the Lonely yeah. takes that sad part, and that's his role. He, he's a guy who is basically being smothered. And, uh, you know, still living at home with his mom who, you know, he's always worried about her and she's always kind of controlling. And he finds himself in a relationship after years of being single with someone who's very shy and kind of the complete opposite of his world. You know, he's a cop. He's always in the field. Uh, She's, uh, you know, secluded. She works in a morgue and she does the makeup on the deceased. So she doesn't have really any social skills. Uh, they're Irish, she's Italian, and apparently her mother has a huge problem with this. Her mother, is, this is in 1991, if this was made now, his mother would seem like a full-on villain, because she is racist. Oh, for God, yeah, she did. I mean, she definitely, uh, again, is he from Sicily? Is she from Sicily? You know, this and that, Sicilian, you know, eh, oh, God. And she he really and, didn't like her, like, from the beginning. Yeah, and, like, and she was, well, that part where he goes, yeah, yeah, you're always telling it like it is, Mom. But also, you're hurting people. Exactly. I mean, she just doesn't have any boundaries, really. And she feels that she shouldn't. And then she starts putting guilt trips on him, like, whenever he starts, like, you know, standing up for himself. Uh-huh. Like, what the hell? But in the end, <laughs> what I thought was really funny, uh, how he's, like, imagining all these scenarios with his mom. Like, if he were to leave the house, you know, and she'd get in trouble and get hurt. But in the end, he just, like, brushes his off and just goes, eh. Well, he doesn't <laughs> have the fantasy where she's a... She's on an airplane, and terrorists take it over, and she kicks all their asses. Yeah, because his mom was one tough cookie. Yeah. And Ali Sheedy was the one who played the uh, girlfriend. Yeah, she's an intro- introvert, and I liked how they um, kind of uh, pointed out, like, what it is for introverts. Like, it's really not easy for them to be social or go out or anything. No. And Ali Sheedy did a great job of that. But then again, you know, she had that experience with uh, Breakfast Club. And right. Also, as far as it goes for Chris Columbus, you know, him uh, – after working with John Candy on a, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. After working with John Candy on Home Alone, you know, having his appearance with uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, he decided, you know, he really did want to bring, uh, as you mentioned earlier, yeah, his sensitivity, how he had like range as an actor, you know, and he didn't have to be such uh, an obnoxious goofball to be, uh, you know, for people to enjoy to watch. I yeah. mean, the comedy is subtle in this one. The comedy is out of the situation. There's no setup gags. There's no big punchlines. There's no wise assery. It just comes out of the situation. Like it's it's really natural. Yeah, it's, it's natural situational comedy, and and it was and I liked how it uh, really developed onto the kind of relationship that they uh, that they had. You know, him not wanting to leave his mom. You know, not standing up to her. You know, him trying to, him being like put in the middle, even though his mom was completely the aggressive force oh yeah but i mean the entire time and i understand where ali she's character is coming from when she's just like look at some point you're gonna have to choose her or me and then realizing that he's never gonna make that choice that he's just always gonna stall and that she has to make that choice yeah and he of course ends up going after her which was great you know it's always nice to see in like one of those comedy in those uh like romantic comedies yeah but it also uh, wasn't another one of those cliches he didn't set up some huge scheme it was just kind of like because remember, he, he balks at first when he sees her, and he walks away um, and doesn't say anything. Just like in the she's bar, kinda, yeah. Yeah, she just looks at him as he's walking away or whatever, and then it's later. Also, we shouldn't forget that Jim Belushi's in this, and he's really great. Oh, yeah, it's a supporting... Oh, 
<laughs> especially especially when they're trying to lower that body out, uh, out of the building that they had to uh, come and take to the morgue. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, they just ended up using the uh, emergency hose. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then he's like explaining his whole analogy on dating and everything. Uh, but still, I think it overall, uh, overall, like Jim Belushi's presence was definitely necessary. Well, he Especially was the, for his side of things. The whole right, because he was always saying, "You, you, it's great for you to be single. I'm married. I'm locked down. I'm bored, or whatever." And he's just like, "Dude, it's not like I'm a dating machine. You know, have you seen me? I'm just, you know, not like I'm getting dates like with ease." Right. Yeah. No. Uh, of course. I mean, not a lot of women, of course, go for a heavier man, but. You know, it's John Candy. Come on, he's a sweet. He was a sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he's a great romantic <laughs> lead in this. And exactly, and in the end, it worked out. I wish they would do this more. I feel like there's a lot of movies with heavy people where I don't want to say heavy people. I don't know what the right wording is. Um, uh, people of larger size, um, they don't get a lot of romantic Overweight. roles, and I just I don't get why that's. I mean, because you look around in your real life, and and, and you know, heavier people are in relationships, sometimes more often than skinny people. And I feel like movies ignore that. Even the Melissa McCarthy movies, she doesn't seem to be in a relationship in any of those. Like, The Boss, Heat, uh, what's the one where she's a thief? Mandy or something like that? Tammy. Yeah, with Jason with uh, Jason Bateman. Yeah, oh, none God. of these is she's in a relationship. And I think that's strange that they don't even bother to give her a romantic lead when it's like, you know, she's been a lead in very successful movies. For um, like seven years now, and yet still nothing. Or even Life of the Party. She well, I haven't seen she didn't that. One. End up, okay, she wasn't in a relationship. She was married, but like you know, gets divorced, and then goes back to school with her daughter. Oh, okay, that's an interesting plot. Yeah, no, it gets it gets pretty good. It's good. It's funny. Good. I loved it. <laughs> I'm curious about Happy Land Murders. <laughs> I'm oh sure she won't God. have her. I'm sure she won't have a romantic role in that either, unless she fucks a puppet. Mike and Molly, uh, the show Mike and Molly. And it was canceled for bullshit reasons. Mike and Molly definitely uh, delved into that. Was it canceled for bullshit like, reasons, or was she just tired of doing the show? No, it got canceled because she was losing weight. Oh, no, what? And she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's I weird. Know. It, I know, it is. I'm like, well, what the hell? Like, is this? I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be a uh, show for overweight people, but she can lose weight. Heck, Mike was losing a little weight uh, during the show, too. Yeah, that's so weird. The they fuck? didn't do that with. Uh, I remember Roseanne did get canceled because John Goodman was losing weight. No, uh, or Roseanne lost weight and got plastic surgery. No. Uh, no, it's just, it was just really stupid. They just thought it was like you know, wasn't right for their characters. So I'm like, well, fuck that. Like these, ca- <laughs> these things can happen. Come yeah. on. Um, so I'm just thinking of some of the other John Candy movies. Like next year, I, of course, we can do Uncle Buck. Like I said, Delirious is one that's always around. Canadian Bacon. Um, oh, Canadian. oh yeah, Canadian Wagons Bacon. East. Yeah, Wagons East. Oh, oh yeah. Did we do Cool Runnings? We have not done Cool Runnings. I'm curious about doing a whole Disney sports one, like Mighty Ducks, uh, The Big Green, Cool Runnings. Uh, I feel like there's another one they did a sports movie. But um, let's see. He was in. Uh, oh, Rescuers Down Under. He was in that. Uh, really? Animated. Okay. Um, a lot of stuff. He was only in small parts. So I'm not going to really con- add that to it. Uh, Once Upon a Crime. I said Career Opportunities. He's only in a small role. Nothing but Trouble. You know, I may, I may bring myself to watch that. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess we've got the other ones. A Little Shop of Horrors. Well, we've discussed a lot of his movies. So I think. Oh, Brewster's Millions. Holy shit. 
Yeah, we gotta watch that. That's one of my favorite movies. I can't believe I forgot that. Some of these I've never heard of. The Last Polka, I've never heard of. Uh, really Weird Tales. There's one here called The Rocket Boy, which is a TV movie where he played the Hawk. Masters of Menace, which he had a cameo in. Oh my God. The, whatever this is. Oh, the Rocket Boy. He has a crazy red wig on, and it has Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas in it. It says, in this sci-fi comedy, a gentle video clerk has a secret double life as an intergalactic crime fighter who must stop an evil alien from stealing the hair off human heads. I must see this movie. <laughs> Holy <What>? shit. <laughs> I think that's the whole premise. <laughs> okay, if it's John Candy, I have to see it. I'll have to see it now. Oh my god, the Rocket <laughs> Boy. Yeah, I gotta find this. It looks like it's some pretty good effects. It's a Canadian TV show. Um... Rocket Boy! I'm going to see if I can look around and find this one. Okay, so we're stalling here again. We do this. We meander on, but we're trying to make the episodes a little bit tighter this time around. Um, so yeah. that is it for us here. Check us out on Patreon if you want to support our show under Retro Rock Entertainment. That's the banner for all our podcasts. Also on Facebook, you'll find us under Retro Rock Entertainment. And everybody, be excellent to each other. And Jacob, send us out. I will, but I want to say one more thing. What? Only... Okay. Recording Only the Lonely, that's definitely... Uh, this is the first time I've watched it when you sent it to me, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And uh, the only time I have heard of it before was uh, this little special on Christopher Columbus in his uh, directing uh, career, uh-huh. and showing that he has what it takes and all that, you know, this and that. And But yeah, I would love to see more movies like that. All right, okay, now I'm done. All righty, everybody. Guys. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Say it again. Namaste and good luck, my friend. to Stumbling Towards Adulthood, a special edition where we're discussing a couple of shows uh, that were focused on the radio. Uh, News Radio, of course, this year is celebrating its 20th anniversary, but we also kind of want to discuss our stints working for radio stations. I thought there'd be some good stuff to talk about there. And uh, I'm Michael, your host, and my co-host is... Uh, me, Tony. <laughs> How you doing? So I don't know why I did it that way. Usually I say your name and then you go, hey, everybody. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. I was like, uh, I guess I'll just introduce myself. It's <laughs> like, it's like toss, tossing you the ball, but you didn't realize we were playing basketball. You're like, what's going on again? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready. My shoes aren't tied. Just, uh, just took a no-look pass in the face. <laughs> uh, we were discussing before we went on the air, uh, you kind of have a vague recollection of WKRP, and I think... The reason I have so much love for radio itself and news radio is because of WKRP. It was one of those shows that was rerun uh, just nonstop when I was about 10, 11 years old. And uh, it definitely had a big influence on me. Yeah, I mean, the, the market, I was I didn't see that much in syndication. I, I'm, I'm old enough to have seen it like when it was still on the air. Wow. I think I may have seen um, one or two episodes in syndication. But I do remember it being on the air like was the late seventies. I mean, I was like a couple years old. Um, yeah, I remember like a few episodes. I remember like the, the infamous turkey episode. They threw him out the, heli- the helicopter or whatever. You know, Les Nesson, you know, because he thought the turkeys could fly. And uh, I remember some of the characters. I remember like um, Herb and uh, Johnny Fever, Les Nesman, um, Venus uh, Venus Flytrap. Yes. That was the name. Yeah. And and. Uh, Whatever Lottie Anderson's uh, character's name was, 
can't remember. I knew, knew she was in it, and she had great big tits in there. I mean, that's, you know, that's about as much as I can remember about her. I knew she was a receptionist or something. The great and then there was some... Her character, uh, they were very smart with the show, and yes, she was beautiful, and yes, she was very voluptuous, but her character always had everybody wrapped around her finger. She was smarter than pretty much every single person in that show combined. She always knew how to work an angle, but not illegally. I'm just saying she knew how to work a system. No, yeah, she was. She, you know, she was ma- manipulating with her sexuality. Uh, she was using what she, what she, uh, what is that? I was saying, use what you got to get what you want. That's kind of what she was doing, you know, in that, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, good-natured, comical way, you know. Yeah, I think uh, here's the weird part is I don't really find her that attractive. I've always thought that Bailey was hotter. You know, I think part of it's the nerd look. At the girl, at the girl with the glasses. Right. I think it's only other. Oh yeah. Something about her, like, I think it's come something of a debate lately, but uh, Bailey was always more attractive than the obvious one, Jennifer, because she had, like, the, what's that, it's like the librarian thing, you know, the the girl who looks like well, she's really yeah. good, kind of hope that she's a little bad. There's, like, a naughty librarian, and there's also, like, in, uh, you know, uh, you have this uh, perception of attainability, whereas the other one kind of, you know what I mean, wow, she would never go for a guy like me. I mean, just go for the more obvious choices, probably... Who's probably naughty and maybe a little, you know, little, you know, little wild behind closed doors. At least, you know, that's where that's where mine, my mind would go. Yeah, but I, yeah, if somebody, somebody like Bobby Anderson, like, yeah, I would, why would I waste my time with something clearly out of my league? Well, here's the weird thing: is I, the, her hair looks so shellacked. I actually wonder if she's wearing a wig because it seems so insanely perfect that uh, I feel like it was a Dolly Parton rule where she says, "Well, you know what? It would just be easier if I just had short hair that's easy to maintain at home." And then during my public life, I just slap on this wig. I mean, possibly. Also, that was kind of the style that kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's called the wet or the dry look, but that kind of like feathered, parted down the middle, kind of aqua netted to like, you know, uh, perfection kind of whatever that that style it was back then. Yeah, his, uh, uh, Andy Travis, the guy who's a programmer for the show, he was infamous for his hair too. He had like extreme if he if his hair were to be described, it would be the Optimus Prime of feathered hair. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Yeah, and you're right. The, the wet look, I think, is more of an 80s thing when people start going all Wall Street and they're like slicking their hair back and gelling it up and spiking it. The 70s is more like the dry feathered. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, yeah, I guess they made some kind of weird crossover in like the early 80s to like from like leaving that 70s style of hair into the the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever, even like um. Even uh, black people were doing a little the Jerry Curl, and everything was, you know, everything was wet. You know, everyone's hair was kind of like, you know, uh, slicked back, you know. Did you always think it was weird? Like, you'd be around 1990, 91, and you'd run across a guy who still had the feathered hair, and you're like, um, did time not move on for you? Or you're that still was, stuck there? <laughs> yeah, and that was the whole thing, too. You'd see some people who, like, never got past the, like, the mullets or, like, the tails, just hanging on to those for dear life. You know, and it's like you know, still we're still maintaining the uh, the business up front, party in the back, or or de- or maintaining the rat tail that was like really weird. I've seen kids and, with uh, rat yeah. tails slightly. Uh, I think it's a returning trend, which is a trend I do not welcome. That means the mole is just around the corner. Well, that that had a brief. They did a brief return to that a couple years back. I get think media in Europe. You know, they were just toying with that a little bit, and then it kind of same t- at the around the same time they were also toying with the faux hawk. Yeah. and I'm not sure. That's gone for now. Now, now they're off to now everyone is trenched in the '90s thing, where they're shaved on the sides, uh, kind of um, 
whatever that thing on top, kind of like a hipster thing where they're like kind of swirled the wave on the top, shaved on the sides. And I think that's that's pretty much me reached to like uh, uh, the pinnacle of that uh, trend. I think that's people are moving beyond that as well. So the uh, I, when I was in ninth grade, I was shaving the sides of my hair to you know give it that look. Uh, I'll, I don't know why it is that white people feel like they have to adopt everything. Is it? Do, are we crippled by uncoolness and we just desperately want to be cool, so we'll grab anything that even seems remotely cool and adopt it, and it never looks right? Yeah, well, I mean, my hair was always so pinched straight. It was like, uh, like I didn't have any kind of wave to it or any kind of like, you know what I mean? It was just, it was like, you know, I let it grow out like a Dutch boy haircut. So oh. I would just like cut it short, shave it to the side, so it gives a little little texture, little style. Otherwise, it's just kind of like this flat nothing, you know, of a hair. You did, know what I mean? Super fine. Did you do the I, I, <laughs> I did. I did a little mohawk in ninth grade, but not like, um, not like a cool like uh, sports uh, mohawk, like a wide one. It was like a super punk rock kind of mohawk, which I don't, I don't, didn't look very. I, I people thought I was like a white supremacist. I was yeah. just like either like uh, punk rock and clash and stuff. I was like doing like. Um, like Joe Strutter from the Clash kind of look, but people in my narrow-minded uh, burb was all like, "Oh, this guy's uh, this guy's like a skinhead or something." Like, no, oh, I'm not a skinhead. Well, so yeah. So of course that did that had a short-lived. As soon as my hair grew back, I got rid of that because you know people get the wrong idea. The um, what I actually said was, did you have the Tony Hawk swoop? You know that thing that would come down. You, you oh, try to take it over oh, one eye, oh, but yeah. it's okay. I'm still, <laughs> Mohawks are on. Oh yeah, sorry, I, I missed that connection. No, I did have that as well. Yeah, I yeah, did. I, mean, um, I, I didn't pull it. Up, I didn't pull it off as I didn't pull it off as well as he did. Like he got to have a stream part from one side, and my hair didn't like part of it didn't fly. I would have these products to have it parted like over that well, so it kind of just like would kind of flop back over. But I try. I try to. I didn't pull it off as well as Tony Hawk could, unfortunately. Yeah, I uh, I almost perfected it, but I had to hold it together with gel. I had wavy hair, and I always wanted to keep it kind of straight. During the early 90s, if you had curly hair, it was like a weird thing. Like, that was uh, embarrassing. Like, it was a 70s. Oh, nobody has gr longer curly hair. Uh, and mine was kind of in the midpoint. I didn't have a fro, and I didn't have, like, completely straight hair. Uh, and once it got to a certain length, it just started hooking, like a big curve, like a Superman swirl. And it would do that with every piece of my hair. So I always kept it kind of short, but the, the I have pictures of myself back when I had hair uh, with a Tony Hawk swoop. And you can see, like, <laughs> layers of hairspray and gel holding that fragile mess together. <laughs> yeah, like, I had that for a little bit while, then a little while everybody had, like, a spike. And mine was, like, a random spike. Not like a box top spike, which is kind of spiked out in all directions, looking haphazardly and crappy. Yeah, I had the crazy, the spike stuff, like my hair would go in different directions, and kids would make fun of me, which is ridiculous, because you start looking at the pictures back then, and I'm the only one that looks like the picture could be from any era, whereas the other guys had like, almost like a Biff Cannon, like, it was so short, so straight, and uh, if it wasn't for like, the random person with a couple of kid play, like, slices in the hair, no, you, you would be like, what is this, what decade is it, is it from the 50s? That's not cool. Very much style. The flat top, yeah, the flat top spike, and like uh, I went to like an Italian barbershop, uh, and the the guy was like right off the boat. He's like, he's like, hey, you want a spiky? You want a spiky? I'm like, ah, uh, because I think that's really the only thing you can do well. I always got stuck with the old guy. I'm like, ah, uh, all right, give me a spike. Yeah, I give you a spiky. And he's always trying to, because it's like I guess for a barber, that's like a super easy thing to do, and he's always trying to suggest that for me. And uh, for a while, I kept getting a spike, and he just did such a bad job. <laughs> it was just like, it wasn't blended well. It wasn't like, it wasn't faded well. I was like, oh, 
I didn't have the heart to say no to the guys. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I guess sometimes the styles, what's in one person's head interpreted to another person, sometimes those don't connect. Yeah, like, but, I mean, God bless the guy. He he passed away, and now, like, you know, now his son always, whenever I come back into town, uh, my hometown always, like, you know, I'm very specific, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And then I got to keep correcting, like, no, no, let me, hey, let me tell you what haircut I want. How about that, you know? I'm not that kid anymore, or you can suggest shit just to get me to get in and out the door real fast, you know? Yeah, but back then, like, hey, I think you want a spiky. Like, ah, all right. And speaking of styles that are severely out of fashion, Herb Tarlick had the most insane jackets you've ever seen in your uh, life. They still jacket they make you want to, Yeah, they want to gouge your eyes out. They're so bad. It was bad for back then. Yeah. Even back in the seventies, notorious for bad style. They would like always. That'd be the running joke with how how loud his jackets were. Well, they made some of his suits out of like uh, like car seat covers or bad upholstery. They would just make it out of stuff that wasn't meant to be put into a suit. Yeah, they look like the typical used car, the, the cliche used car salesman from the 70s uh, at a radio station. That's what they look like. The, um, the one thing I love about the show is the fact that the radio station itself was not really stuck to a particular style. They weren't just an all-rock station. They weren't all-country. They weren't all, like, R&B. It was like a pop station in the fact that it mixed up the genres. But they would play, like, Johnny Fever uh, had a, a predilection for, like, garage rock, so he'd play a lot of 50s and 60s stuff. And then, well, uh, well, go ahead. well, back then, there wasn't, like, such a, I mean, FM and uh, AM weren't, like, clearly defined on the, um, on the dials. So you would have, like, a variety station. You'd have, like, an AM station that would play, like, the news for an hour and then they would do there wasn't like uh, there weren't like so strict to a format now where one station plays this format all the time back then you had a lot more of those stations it's probably the, one of the last of a dying breed of those but back then you would have like an, like an AM station back then a lot of stations especially in the 70s a lot of stations were on AM they, they weren't all, all on the FM dial and you would have somebody who would play hey I'm doing the rock hour this guy would be doing the news hour and stuff like that. Nowadays, you have you have like a, an all news station, and not only do you have all rock stations, but you have all these subcategories and subgenres and uh, demographics for for this kind of. Like you'd have you could have like three different country stations, you know, right. uh, progressive. Back then, it was that was kind of the norm. You would have more of those. I think that was on the dying end of it back then. There was more and more transitioning to on the the FM dials, just keeping the news, and whatnot, and the weather and all that stuff on the AM dial. But yeah, back then that was it was it was actually wasn't as common as it was in uh, prior decades. But it was you know that was that that wasn't so odd. You know what I mean? Yeah. The uh, I started in radio when I was in high school, and it was kind of a free form thing. All you had to do was make sure that you did the station ID and the time and I think temperature, and that was pretty much it. You had to do that at the top of the hour, and then like five minutes after the hour, you had to do it again. It was our uh, FCC rules. And they basically just let us play whatever we wanted, as long as it wasn't vulgar, you know, didn't break any sort of uh, FCC rules or anything like that. And I was so free, because we would play a Monty Python sketch, and then the next minute we'd play Megadeth, and then we would play, like, a Run DMC. We would do whatever popped in our head. We would spend one day just specializing in silly songs. And then the next week we'd specialize in, like, all the new alternative songs that are coming up that you need to know. And when I got to college... I was seriously disappointed in the fact that uh, you had three choices. You had to go on the pop station, the oldie station, or the rock station. And they only had a certain selection of songs you were allowed to play. 
and it's very, very strict. You had to write out, you had to do the math of how the songs are going to play out through the hour and to make sure that you ran up correctly with your PSAs and your, uh, like I said, time, temperature, and radio station. And it really just broke my heart because that free form was completely gone. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have that kind of experience. Um, I mean, I was an intern uh, for uh, for a year when I was in college. So I was an intern for like a semester of uh, for school credit, and then the other semester was just like a, my own free will volunteer. And um, yeah, I mean, my job pretty much consisted of like organizing some of the DJs' carts, um, uh, editing PSAs, uh, like down to like we would get some submitted and then have to edit them down to like twenty seconds or something like that. Um, answering calls, things of that nature, making copies, typical clerical stuff, and then, you know, just assisting, and then, like, doing promotional stuff, so when they would go to a gig and do a promotional thing, setting up tables, uh, you know, typical intern work, going to um, uh, concerts, setting up booths, you know, things that, putting up banners, that kind of deal. What kind of radio station was it? Um, it was uh, it was a rock station. Uh, it was a kind of uh, what's the kind of I'm trying to think what kind of it was demogra- the demographic was uh, 18 to 34 or maybe it was 18 to 32. I don't know. It was 18 to late 20s, something like that. And uh, it was like a uh, it was late 90s, so it was a, the heart of like douchebag rock. It was like uh, <laughs> they were like born. yeah, they were transitioning away from white classic rock. They still played some of the classic rock, but then it was like yeah, totally Creed, the uh, Biscuit. Corn, um, shit like that, you know. I'm like, Ugh. but yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then, and then that local affiliate also played Howard Stern in the morning too. So. Uh, okay, yeah, we had uh, we had Mancow Muller playing in ours, and uh, he was like a um, a ripoff of Howard Stern. He, 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 purposely I've, I've heard him called I've heard him called him called the mid Midwestern Howard Stern before. Yeah, he's like, pretty pathetic and lame. And uh, for some reason, for about two years, he was insanely hot, and everybody was crazy for him. And almost like I would say, probably around the summer of '98, everybody was just sick of him. I don't even know if he still has a show. I should look that up. But he was one of those guys that purposely baited uh, racial things and arguments and you know uh, gay bashing, and he just did whatever he could to get people to listen to the show. Because, like they said in that Howard Stern movie, Private Parts, um, just as many people will listen to find out what's next, whether they like it or not. If they hate your guts or they love you, they want to find out what's next. Yeah, it turns out the people who didn't like them listened even longer than the people who did. Yeah, did you, did you like that movie? <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was yeah. pretty good, yeah. I was really surprised. Um, when I went into it, I was like, I don't know, man. That sounds like the kind of thing where the acting's going to be terrible. They're just like doing a quick exploitation cash-in. And then you watch, and you're like, oh, okay, this is actually a decent story. And he's not that bad of an actor, and it was kind of a shame that he never bothered to do another movie, but I think they were just offering him the same role over and over and over, and he's just like, eh, you know what, I already did it once. Well, he's also ridiculously busy. I mean, he's got, like, that, that show, and he does, like, uh, he does, does some other stuff, and then, like, the commit to, like, the filming, you know what I mean, was, like, like more than he could commit to at the time. And it's, I don't know. I think the window was too long from his last from his last movie to the current one. He just said, "Ah, forget right. about it." Because then he his other book would have been like I guess Miss America or something like that or or whatever book he'd based the based the movie on. But then there's been so long. So uh, from 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 where that last book left off today, there's a lot has happened and transpired. He just I guess think he just like, requires too much effort and work that he has time to commit to at this point. So he just said, "Forget about it." But I think what's funny about that movie is like when he was. Um, when he was like re- recollecting his life, he was like, it was clearly him at his current age trying to be somebody in his oh, 20s. Right, like, right. just like, 
you know, the, you know, the, the voiceover narrator's like, just suspend your disbelief and pretend I'm younger at this point, you know. But I thought it was good. I'm like, good, because who are you trying to fool, you know? Well, what you learned from that movie and what you also learned in college is that you really don't have a choice. That freedom that you had, if you had any in, um, like, amateur radio, is that you're going to have to stick to a format. And if you want a job, you're going to have to take a job anywhere you can to start. I mean, didn't he play, like, some hick station playing like a cowboy, talking real, you know, country? And that's what you yeah, have, that, that, you have that's, to... that's when he finally gave up. <laughs> he was yeah. like, all right, I'm asking Detroit. He's like, that's it. Um, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. it's kind of heartbreaking. No, but... So I started focusing more on the theater aspect, so radio became, like, a minor and uh, I wish I had stuck to it. I wish I had been more mature. But I've always had this rebellious behavior. And when it comes to sticking to any sort of rules or formats, I tend to get myself in trouble because it's a knee-jerk reaction to go the exact opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of have to play by the rules and to get established and before you can be outspoken. And uh, you have to have a little more. more it's with, with him in particular, you have to have a little bit, little bit of power a little bit of sway, like, you know, as outspoken as Stern was, he kind of had the ratings to back up, you know, like, hey, man, you know, you know, so, but, but, as, but, you know, when he was starting out in the business, he kind of had to play by the rules uh, a bit, you know, because he didn't want to be out of, be out of a job, right. job you know, before, uh, you know, before, it, so, but yeah, so in the beginning, you got to play by the rules a bit, then once you, you know, you have a, have a followership and you have a little more power and autonomy, then you can like, you know, then you can uh, get, be a little more, out, a little wild and outspoken. Do you think radio is done? Do you think it's it's in its final days, or do you think there will always be someone there? Wait, but the, what, talk radio? It was just radio, period. I, it feels like talk radio is more important now than it ever has been because they found a way to incorporate the new podcasting style and talk radio because, I mean, NPR is doing some seriously good podcasts, and they've always had a format where they work like a network. They have hours, that the blocks that work like shows. But I'm talking regular rock radio. Uh, or any sort of like music format radio. Yeah, I mean, um, it, I mean, it's certainly. I think I'm sure listenership has dwindled. I mean, as far as like internet radios, like your Pandora, your Slacker, your, um, your Spotify, your th- things of that nature have certainly, uh, you know, uh, taken a, a chunk out of the um, of, of the listenership. But yeah, I think people will always be start, turn in for like uh, for for news and uh, weather. And then, like you know, on, on your um, there's still some, uh, you know, there's, there's some there's some talk shows uh, in the morning, you know, in your in your local markets, you know, that you, some people still tune in into. And then there's yeah, there's a typical uh, uh, FM format that people like will scroll through the, the oldie station just just for shits and giggles. I mean, I don't think people listen as intently as they maybe they did in the sixties. They're like waiting, like you know, like when when's the next Beatles song coming out? I gotta you know wait for that. Next that's the only nowadays, you can hear it. Yeah, except unless you went and bought the record. Yeah. Right, yeah, but you heard it on the, before. Before it was in the stores, before they put the um, the uh, the LP out, or or like you know what, what's the uh, what's the single version when a, like a record single come out? Well, they, like the radio stations would get it first because that's how they would promote it. You know, there were no other there were no other mediums to promote music except for the radio station. And then, then you get in the uh, you know back in the days of when you get in payola and stuff for people to pay to play. You know what I mean? Right. But back then, that's the only way you could promote music is is the radio. So nowadays, people just kind of listen. I, more passively than anything else, you know, I just put some on my, my way home. I'm driving away home. You know, I mean, you didn't, you wouldn't have anybody like sitting in the living room with a transistor radio like you would back in the day. And certainly, you know, the air is different. You know, but yeah, I, I think there's there's still a bit. You know, has has its uh, its place in cars. I think that's probably the last fashion of like regular FM and AM radio is just just throwing you drive time commute. 
think that's about it. Yeah, I, you know? I think in the workplace, too, a lot of times you find yourself at a place that lets you have music, but they only let you play uh, FCC-approved music so you don't upset anybody. So you hear a lot of, uh, you know, like the top 40 stations in classic rock playing at the workplace. I do say this. I think radio is crippled right now because of its obsession with 70s rock. It seems like one out of every four stations is stuck there. I never hear a new wave station. I never hear any, uh, like, the garage rock from the early 60s. I never hear, like, the punk, you know, part of, you know, I never hear the jam. I never hear the clash. Unless it's, uh, it's like the there's, 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 like, uh, bands and songs that are, like, tough to ca- categorize. Like, for some reason, you'll hear a lot of Bob Marley on anything because it's, like, it's kind of classic rock. It's kind of pop. It's almost a bit new wave. I know it's reggae, but, like, it's really hard as far as the formats that are out there. What do you, what do you play that on? You can't really play it on R&B. You know what I mean? Right. Even though it's 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 sung by an African American, you can't really because it's not really R and B, so it's really hard. Occasionally, you hear it on an alternative station, but like like I said, he's got a lot of hits, but you don't hear him on the radio. You also like um, the Clash. Besides, like Rock the Casbah is like they like the only pop friendly. There's, I mean, they had a bunch of them in the '80s, but like nowadays, it's like it's really hard to fit them into jam. Yeah, it's, I don't even know where you'd put the jam. You know what I mean? You'd have to have like a classic alternative, which they do on like um, on like internet radio. Like, uh, Slacker has a classic alternative station, and, uh, yeah, so you have a lot of the, the jam. You have a classic funk station, also the jam, and a lot of clash. But as far as your, like, your basic um, FM dial on your radio, yeah, it's really tough because it's one of those um, – it's it's one of those genres. It's really hard to pigeonhole and put on a on a radio format. It doesn't really fit in a, 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 lot, a lot of holes that they want to fill, you know? And I think the ultimate answer is who will uh, pay for advertising on the station – and that ultimately answers, well, I guess we can't stay on the air in this format. Did you ever find a station you loved, and then all of a sudden you turn it on one day, and it's completely changed the format, and it was like there was no warning whatsoever? You're like, I-, I feel like I've been double-crossed here. Well, yeah, there was a, a station I like. It was like, at the time in Philadelphia, it was the only uh, alt, alt station. And I was like, oh, finally. It took forever for us to get one, and they, then they did and they had like a promo of time too, like, hey, if you're listening for whatever, we have moved. Starting tomorrow, we're going to be like another hip hop station. Like, great, we already got one. We need two. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess so I was like, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and like, it didn't, we didn't get another like alternative station uh, until like about 2011. So there was probably like five years in like Philadelphia. It's a pretty, pretty large market. Didn't have an alternative station, but it's like a large market for hip hop and R&B. So I was like, oh, great. Like, can you get rid of that freaking country station? <laughs> how, how many people listen to that in Philadelphia? Right. Apparently a lot. Apparently yeah. a lot. Country so. music seems to cross no matter where you are. Uh, I think it was the David Cross joke where he says, no matter where you go, you find someone with a southern accent. You could be in Juneau, Alaska. You could be in New York City. You could be in uh, Southern California. There'll always be someone there with a, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? I mean, if you love country, more power to you. But it's just, it just you know, it seems so middle of the road, man. It's just like pushes no envelopes. It's just like, uh, it's so, I don't know. <laughs> it's, if, if more people were like Johnny Cash or even the, yeah, exactly. the storytellers of the it, 70s, then I'd be okay with it, but. I don't mind outlaw country, like, you know, like Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, uh, what's it called, Waylon Jennings, yeah. you know, the, that, that's cool. That, I, I'm on board with that, but like uh, Luke Bryan and some of these guys and all that same kind of ballady bullshit and now they're all trying to be like like it's like they're trying to work the rock and roll look with like uh tattoos and uh like you know cut off but like they're but they're not 
they don't have the attitude and it's like forced and labored. It's all bullshit, you know. It's all like some, it seems like some exec in Nashville like designed their image. I'm like, oh, it's just it's just so corny. I have to tell you this: my current job, uh, which I'm not gonna say on the air, but my current job blasts country music all day, every day. Not old, I, I, all current. I I, I applied. I was gonna apply for a job at Lone Star Steakhouse, and. Uh, when I was there, I was like, they're playing country. Like, hey, you guys play country all the time? And like, I know it's a Western bar, but like, we're not in Texas. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. Even though, and, and like, uh, once on the hour, we do some country line dancing. We oh, have some, like, I was like, the staff do that. He's like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to need to. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go. It's cool. I don't, you know, I don't think this is going to be a right fit for me. You know, I just, I just can't imagine having an eight-hour shift, having to listen to that, and then having to participate with a smile on my face, like, it's just not going to happen. That is the it's ultimate cruel task. Any task or any job that requires that at some point in your day you have to stop everything to make a sound, sing a song, do a dance, that is that is the kind of stuff they should be giving to prisoners to suffer through. That is, that is punishment, pure punishment. Yeah. Like, what am I, the freaking court jester here? I mean, I, yeah, I have to dance for my tips. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. So uh, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but um, the one thing that's great about uh, WKRP, like I said, was the the fact that the format was different. The cast was really good. Uh, I missed the fact, and I started noticing this when I was watching some other older TV shows, like uh, I was watching Soap and Benson and Facts of Life. It doesn't seem like any of the half-hour shows anymore have that balance of drama and comedy. Some episodes would be pure silliness, but then they have like uh, not a very special episode of, but I mean, they would have... <laughs> They would have plots that geared a little more serious, and it was more like a stage play. You know, it didn't have to stick to, well, every five seconds we've got to have a joke, which is all it is now. Yeah. I kind of miss that aspect of where it would really test an actor and the audience by balancing the funny with the serious. And occasionally they would um, they would tackle a topic that's in the news. You know, sometimes, like, in retrospect, it's comical, like when they would... Uh try to tackle a drugs episode, but at least, you know, at least they were like, they were, they were, show, they were showing a little social responsibility to like people who are watching, you know, realize, you know, I mean, I, I remember like, uh, God, I remember the different strokes episode where like, uh, it was a drugs episode and like, there are all these drugs I never heard of, goofballs and red devils and like, are these real drugs? These aren't real, are they? I've never heard of them since and like, I've never heard of any red, red devils, goofballs, some of these other pills that they were taking, I'm like, I, I don't know what they were slang for. I've never, I never heard those before. Maybe it was a New York thing. I, I have no idea. But no, yeah, they're, um, yeah, like sitcoms would would tackle the issues like that. I remember, I remember a few quote unquote special episodes of Silver Spoons growing up, and uh, yeah, I, I, I never thought it was cheesy back then, and I never thought there. I never remember thinking, all right, get back to the funny. Come on, what, what is this bullshit? I didn't come here to, I didn't come here to think about things. I didn't come here for feelings. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, they they don't they don't even try to do that now. It, he, now it's either like full on drama or full on you know full on sitcom. Well, I think it's the Seinfeld curse. Is that after that show was so huge, all of a sudden every show seemed to take on the well, these people are just frivolous. Everything is just kind of light and fluffy and goofy, and we don't really need to take any extreme turns. And that that kind of hurts TV, I think, a little bit. I think it kind of makes us a little lazier. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm mean, not. I don't know if that's if they're just uh, they're changing with the trend of viewership. If more people were tuning out of um, certain you know um, sitcoms that were like that. I don't know why they decided to 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 change. Maybe it was a sign of the times. Not really, not really sure. Things were just I don't know. You know, <laughs> I'm not really sure why that trend stopped. Um, 
uh, I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if like, you know, sometimes I just want to, um, I just want to see a sitcom. I don't want things to be heavy. Sometimes I don't mind it. You know, I don't mind if they, you know, like, uh, I mean, to get into another, uh, I do remember, uh, a show that was always light, like news radio. And then like they, and then of course after Phil Hartman, uh, was killed, they, they addressed right. his, uh, his death. And they, that was a really somber episode. And up to that point, never, never any kind, never any kind of seriousness. It was always silliness, always, uh, you know, always gags and slapstick and, you know, you know what I mean, things of that nature. And that was the only, uh, probably the only serious episode that was ever, ever, ever on news radio was that, uh, you know, and uh, I guess occasionally they would have uh, maybe on like a Frasier or something like that. We're on a Friends. They would have like a maybe a serious episode or two, but that's like probably the last that dying breed. You certainly don't see it anymore. Right, right. The um, news radio was a answer to the fact that in the '80s, all of a sudden, every show that was successful was a family sitcom, and basically, if you wanted a workplace comedy, at best it would last maybe two seasons. I think there was like Hooperman with John Ritter, uh, Slap Maxwell Story with Dabney Coleman. Uh, Cheers. Cheers being the one weird anomaly of being like a truly successful workplace show. And I think with that really hitting its pinnacle in the late 80s and then Seinfeld coming out, uh, I think networks started looking at shows saying, well, maybe we can focus more on adults and not have like 12-year-olds running around every single week. Maybe the reason they stopped the special episodes was because everything on television was family-oriented and they always had to have that moment. It was like the full house effect where it was super cheesy and very badly acted and they and maybe we just kind of revolted against that and started going hey can we just see some grown-ups interacting with each other and by the mid-90s is when the workplace comedy really went full force you started getting the uh news radio just shoot me suddenly susan stuff like that yeah well because i think they realized they don't have to because well back then everything wanted everybody um in front of the tv at the same time watching the same show and then, like, you know, for, so, for, so, like, you would have a TGIF effect on the ABC where everybody would have to uh, sit around and there'd be a little something for everybody. There's an adult humor, and there's something for the kids, you got your Urkel, you got your funny jokes for the adults. And, but, like, you know, they realize, no, no, this is just for adults. This is at this time period. You know what I mean? It's like nine, nine o'clock. You, your kids can watch something else. You know what I mean? This is just for adults with, with, some, with some adult jokes, as much as adult as you can get away with on primetime network television. Right. But, yeah, they were starting to do it that because you know i guess the viewership was waning for like you know like people i think people grew tired of the uh of like you know the, the family you know the family show like your family ties and everybody had to watch the same thing you know what i mean there's funny you know what i mean yeah. there's just just every, your whole family comedy for everything something for everybody and people were trying to like um people were just you know something just just for a particular audience you were looking for we were, we were talking on our last episode about how alternative con- comedy was starting to rise in the mid-90s and all the sketch shows started to like change over to the, the new class. And I believe that news radio was kind of a testing ground. Same thing for Just Shoot Me was also a testing ground for a lot of those comedians to come on and do little arcs. But news radio itself is like ground zero for Andy Dick, you know, really breaking through. Dave Foley yeah. finally going out of his wheelhouse of Kids in the Hall. A lot of these guys were very, um, they grew up in sketch comedy, yeah. and they finally got to be in a broadcast, the primetime show. First of all, yeah, I'm talking about this cast. What an amazing cast. I, don't, I can't, the, the casting director, I got to look that up. Great job. I was listening to a, um, an older podcast. Uh, Joe Rogan was um, 
uh, interviewing Dave Foley, and he, that was like he was only when he got cast in that show, he's only acted for like a month. He had one other show before that, some kind of MTV show that I don't think even think ever even aired, even aired, where he was like a baseball player or something. Oh, was, <laughs> I just got it him. Was, um, something Blues. I can't remember the name of it. it was some Blues show that was on Fox. And I believe it lasted six episodes. And you're right, it was right before they started casting for this. And and that was the first time he's ever acted, and that was the first. You know, most you know, most established actors have been like have been on like the, the casting call, you know what I mean? And then they've gotten like turned down a hundred times before they get success. The very first time he ever got went into casting, got hired for that one, and the second time he ever got he went into a casting for something, he got hired for news radio. The only two times he's ever acted in his life, and the only two times, and he got you know what I mean? Like he's he's like batting a thousand. It's like ne- never happens in acting. But like yeah, at that point prior to that, he's only acted for like a month. You know, but yeah, but he was. I mean, to his credit, he was a natural. I mean, of course, he has like years of like um, uh, stand-up comedy. He's in stand-up comedy before that. But yeah, but what you know, like w- what a great cast. You have all these uh, sketch comedy um, professionals: uh, Dave Foley, Kids in the Hall, Annie Dick, uh, the Ben Stiller Show. You have uh, Phil Hartman, of course, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Kenny Kenny Alexander, an established uh, actress. Uh, Maura Tierney, I mean, she went on to other stuff like after that, the ER, etc. Stephen Root was great in that, and uh, you know, Vicky Lewis was great in that show. She was, I can't believe she's never done anything since. Yeah, at I least think if she, she has was, something. Yeah, but, she lost yeah, yeah, a show it. where it was like Three Sisters. It was a couple years after News Radio. It only lasted thirteen episodes, and that is the last time I've seen her. I always thought she was extremely funny, and maybe she just saved her money and realized, you know what, they're going to keep casting me the same thing probably over and over, and uh, maybe she decided to walk away. It's a shame. I was just watching some of the episodes earlier. She's she's great. I mean, really great, really natural, genuinely funny. And it's just yeah, it's a, it's a darn shame. I've seen Kenny Alexander and some stuff. I like some like um, I don't know, it was a CSI or something like that. She was just up for um, an Emmy for something. Yeah, I can't remember well, what. I think she was on that show Trem on. Uh, I'm, not, I'm I'm sure I'm not saying it right on HBO. And then I think she hopped yep. over to one of those CIS CNCIS whatever. It's a bunch of letters put together. <laughs> <laughs> Other SCI, SUV, LCU, one of those. Uh, you know that Joe Rogan was not the first person cast in that role. There are two other people. Uh, was, it, uh, was it Drew Carey? Was he one of the guys who no, was? The very first person was um, Ray Romano, and he never made it past the table read, I believe. And then the pilot episode, they just grabbed whoever they could get next, and I could not tell you the guy's name. I've never seen him before. He looks just like the photographer guy, Enrico Calantani, on Just Shoot Me almost to the T, but it's not him. And uh, he's in the very first episode, and then by episode two, they've recast. And, you know, Candy Alexander is not in the first episode either. They had someone else playing her role. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, you, you barely huh. see her character. Um, she's played by another woman. She's in it for maybe two seconds in the first episode, and then it's the second episode where the cast is completely locked in. Hmm. I remember, uh, God, who is that one guy uh, where they had where, like, um, with Dave Foley... Replace the one guy. He's an established actor. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Like, yeah, uh, kind of always, right? Um, yeah, he's like he's a character actor. He's been in a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of TV stuff. Yeah, I can't. I'll have to but, look uh, it up later. But yeah, I I see him. I saw him on the Tick, and he's one of those guys that always he's like glue. He's the guy that comes in and just holds the movie together for a scene, even though he's just a character actor. Uh, every movie requires their leads. But they also need other people to interact with them in order to hold a show together, and. That's another great thing. Um, every great comedian, character actor of the 90s showed up in um, 
I almost said just shoot me again. Uh, news Radio, you had uh, David Cross, Toby Haas, Brian Posehn, David David Anthony Higgins. Do you remember the brothers, Gruber? Uh, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just watching that. The, the, the heavy set guy with the glasses. He, I was watching a um, like a like 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 a, a mini uh, a mini episode that one they had, and he played like Santa Claus, and he had like cutting uh, cutting Bill McNeil's brakes. Yeah. But um, yeah, he had a, he had a bunch of parts. They like Brian Posehn played a couple different characters. Like he played he played uh, one of the guy one of Dave's friend, childhood friends in Chock Full of Notes. Oh my god, I love that episode. And Bob the did an acapella group, and they came back. <laughs> To like the, the reform. <laughs> do you remember speaking of cutting and knives? Do you remember Throdini when Kevin McDonald showed up on news radio? Oh no, I don't remember that one. They're Throdini. doing a talent show, and his talent is just basically throwing knives. And uh, it's one of these things where he no longer wants Dave, no longer wants anything to do with it. And uh, it's just kind of one of those epic. Design. You can see it from the beginning of the episode slowly crashing. That's the great thing about the show is that um, a lot of the stuff you think is going to happen in the beginning of the episode. It steers off into a whole different direction. By the time you get to the end of the episode, you have no idea you're ever going to end up there. <laughs> yeah, it, it like it, 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 a lot. It often it takes some some comical twists and turns. It wasn't always. I mean, it, it played off the fact that you thought it was going to be so fun to like and go this way, and then you know, they'll make an abrupt turn, which makes it all that much funnier. You know, but that, which I, I think was uh, one of the ones I just saw. Um, oh God, it was like. Uh, it was where uh, Andy Dick had to like um, he was he was still a virgin and uh, he went in there with his girlfriend and he was like and like yeah well I went and told her like all sad and forlorn that uh, that I'm not going to be able to have to maintain my virginity and that's the way it started and then I ended up uh, and then kissing one thing later and then I lost my virginity I was like what you were in there for three seconds like <laughs> you thought you thought I was going to screw one way. <laughs> Uh, My favorite episode um, ever is the episode where they're taking out the old sandwich machine and nobody cares. All the stuff in there is just rotting. It's old. Nobody ever bought it except for Bill McNeil. And he's so obsessed with the sandwiches in there. They're truly awful. And uh, it gets replaced by an arcade machine, which is something that Dave was obsessed with in high school. So much to the point that I think he skipped his prom and uh, his SATs. And it's funny, and then he tries to keep himself away from the machine, but he can't help it. And uh, yeah, then you switch yeah, over to bad. Bill. He he's making the sandwiches, and they're so disgusting. Like uh, I think Joe makes them for him, and it's one of the most horrific things ever. But he loves those sandwiches. Yeah, it was like one of the couple episodes where uh, Bill and Dave try to like legitimize their their vices, and they always have like dueling vices, like when uh, Dave had to give him coffee, oh, and yeah. Bill had to give him cigarettes. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in if you're in. And they both had to quit at the same time. And, of course, they, like, snap on Matthew and, like, start screaming. Yeah, when he starts screaming, when, when Phil, he was the best part of that show. When Phil loses yeah. it in a scene, it, he hits that mark so much. He goes beyond the normal point that any other actor would go, takes it to a lunatic level. And you always wondered if there was a madness inside Bill, the character, and he just exploits it. And you're just like, this is the oh, most beautiful moment. Yeah, well, he had like so much pent up energy. Um, uh, according to Dave, like Offset, he was like he was quite the hobbyist. Like uh, Dave, Dave called him the um, he would call him like like the big league version of Mark McKinney. Whereas Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall would like be obsessed with his flight simulator. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Phil Hartman went learned how to fly a plane. <laughs> you know what I mean, he would study his books 
hey, learn how to fly a plane, learn how to sail a boat, uh, was an accomplished guitar player. He would, he would do all these things. Just, he would just, like, get, get so hit and dive. Because so, he just had, like, probably had some kind of, like, undiagnosed form of those, you know, ADHD or something. Maybe. But he would just go, he would just, like, just, just go head, head, headstrong in his, uh, in his hobbies. And I'm sure that, that came across in his acting, too, with just, like, these untapped uh, reservoirs of energy would just burst here and there, you know. Uh, the one thing I noticed at the beginning of the show to the end of the show is how much Jimmy James changes because he kind of starts off as a jerk. You know, he says some pithy, yeah. funny things, but at the same time, you're like, you kind of are afraid of this guy. But by the time you get to the end of season five, he is fully entrenched in this family and he loves them more than anybody else. You know, he owns like 80,000 businesses, but this one he connects to. Yeah, he starts off as hard nosed CEO, like very by the book, very straight laced, and all something. Then like towards the end, he's like, "Well, hey there, kiddo, yeah, yeah, good. what do you got? What do you got for me? What do you got for me?" You know, it became like everybody's like like big uncle, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, in the beginning, very very business, you know what I mean? We'll say yeah, I'll say a funny thing there too, but like letting you know that like, hey man, step out of line, I'll, I'll cut you, you know. But yeah, towards the end, he's definitely like everybody's uh, everybody's fun, lovable boss. And uh, the one thing I think kind of killed the show, uh, what I was reading up on the show is the fact that the network actually never cared for news radio. They greenlit it, yeah. and almost immediately they realized they were in trouble because Phil Simms refused to follow any of their notes, any of their rules. Anything that he would be given, that he was forced to do, he would find a way of twisting out of it. And that's the kind of yeah. guy you got to respect. But if you notice on his IMDb page, he has never had another show on the air. He's only worked for other people, which is a shame. Well, he had this Rolling Rolling Stone article back then, and he called uh, the lineup, um, <clears throat> the Friends lineup that were on a shit sandwich. Where, um, so like, uh, I guess Friends would be like the uh, the meat, and then like the shit was the bread. So they'd have some crappy show before it, and then like Friends, and then some shitty show afterwards, and then that would like that would boost their ratings. And like, um, and uh, whoever the, the head of uh, um, uh, what's it called scheduling. Uh, hated news radio. He hated. He 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 was against them being on in the first place. He didn't like. He didn't like the idea. And he, uh, according to Joe Rogan was saying, they changed their time slot nine times in the five years they were on. So he hated them. He's always trying to look, look for a way to get them off the air. But they had like, um, like they, they were like they would be like blast. Uh, last in viewing, like whatever show they were on, they were on like one of the lineups they were on was like, just, like Wings and somebody else, but they ended up like uh, boosting their ratings, like just them being on. And, but like even still, and like I think one time their viewership was like 11 million, and I think they were like in, I don't want to say 84th place or something, yeah. but 11 million today, 11 million today, well, you'd be like number, you'd be number one in your network. Well, but back then there was like there. Was, there was like no, there was no Hulu's or Amazons or Netflixes or YouTubes or any other. You know, even there was cable, but there wasn't as many channels as cable as there is now. You know, no satellite TV. So back then, like eleven million was terrible. Now eleven million, you're on on the, you know NBC or CBS, you're you're number, you're easily number one. Yeah, you you're anchoring I mean? the entire network. NCIS is the number one show in the world, and it only pulls eleven million a week. And yeah, you look even at its worst point. I still can't believe they made it past their third season because it was number 92 in the overall ratings, and I think it was pulling in 7 million. But still, today, that would be like, oh, that's a pretty, that's like a top 20 show. Yeah, that's like, that. that's a respectable number. Back then, it was tanking. You know, it's, it's, it's sign of the time. It's hard to believe. Yeah, but here's the thing. is I never understood the, the, what you were just saying a minute ago is the shit sandwich is, yeah, they put on shitty shows between Friends and Frasier or Friends and Cheers or whatever you want to call it. 
and those shows never lasted past a season. Look at the history, and none of them, except I think Boston Common might have lasted two seasons, and if they had just put news radio in there where it belonged, it would have been yeah. uh, it would have been so, so frustrating, and they wouldn't have struggled so badly. They in fact got canceled after the fourth season, only to get renewed again. I think due to you know fan outburst or whatever. If you can say anything about news radio, it was the fans that supported the show. It's like the community of its time. Uh, the uh, or, or the, the network didn't know what to do. Yeah, they brought that back. You know, similar to Futurama, how fans brought that back to Comedy Central. You know, and, after and, being on Fox. Uh, it's kind of bittersweet that the fifth season ended the way it did. Because, you know, most shows want to have a proper ending. You don't just want it to end and it's canceled and there's no wrap-up. They kind of ended, but they also try to spin it off into a new thing. And I was hoping it was going to come back for another season, and it, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, like like, uh, like like I said, I can't, the head of the scheduling, Preston something or other, he just, yeah, like um, I think – at one point, they were at Sal lineup. They were like they were uh, in between. Um, I think Wings and I went. I want to say Frasier before Frasier went to a Thursday. Uh, part of that like must see TV, and uh, you know, and it was it was thriving. But for whatever reason, he just didn't like them. And there was that Phil uh, Phil Sims article in Rolling Stone that ruffled. But I think Warren Littlefield uh, liked 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 News Radio, liked the cast. Uh, uh, Dave uh, Foley was saying that, like, yeah, he was on like one of the upfronts they had. He was saying, "Look, guys, I totally support you." And uh, hey, man, you know, I think you guys are doing great stuff. And then, you know, it's, it just, you know, say la vie. But yeah, it's like they, they had their support. But uh, yeah, you know, it only takes like you know, uh, one or two network execs to not like you. And then, but then also, I guess, I guess the, the numbers for the time just weren't, yeah. you know. Well, if you look at what they went with, they chose Veronica's Closet for a second season instead of uh, News Radio for a sixth. But there are other factors. Phil was gone. Phil passed away, replaced yeah. by John. Well, Lovitz. that was probably, and I watched some of the ones today with with John Lovitz, and it's just yeah, it's just not the same. It's just I mean, all, the cast is still good on their own, but it's just it's definitely not the same dynamic without. Yeah, it. I actually really liked yeah. the John Lovitz season, but you're right. Without Phil there, plus Candy Alexander was gone by then, and at the end of season five. Dave Foley quits. I mean, he's no longer part of the show, so they were going to spin it off. I don't know if they were planning on going syndicated or they just want to go lower cost. I mean, if you look at the cast by the end of season five, that core, they could introduce a couple people probably pretty cheap. And I think movies were calling for Dave Foley, so it was time to go. And I think that was the opening that the guy needed to cancel the show. He's like, hey, we've lost half our cast, so let's just stop it now. Yeah. Also, there's some continuity problems. Like, because John Loves made an appearance earlier when he was in the mental institution with, uh, right. with Bill McNeil. So, like, so you'd have to just suspend his belief and pretend, oh, it's just a guy who looks like <laughs> looks like that guy. He's not right, the same guy. He's know, actually but, in two yeah. episodes uh, very early on. Oh, he's the jumper. He's going to be the guy who jumps off the window outside of Dave's oh, oh, office. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I forgot about that. So there you go. And, like, you know, of course, Brian Bosane was in two different episodes, too, of playing. You know, he was, like, um, he was uh, the guy asking questions and for, for uh you know, uh, J- Jimmy James' book, and then also he was uh, he was one of the uh, Dave's friends from Chalk Full of Notes. But, what but yeah, the, what the name of the book again? Was it Donkey Donkey Monkey? I can't. It's something super, super, macho, super macho donkey wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> when he read that out loud in front of everybody, that is one of the just most humiliating moments for Jimmy James. He's just like, <sighs> Donkey Donkey Donkey. Like, <laughs> 
And so what did you mean when you said, well, uh, it's like the FCC. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Like the FCC has like, uh, oh, one more question. Yeah, go ahead. What did you mean when you said donkey, 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 donkey? <laughs> uh, oh, do you remember the one where he runs for office, but the poster has him with a big hideous mustache on it? And they have to show the poster like halfway through so no one gets infuriated by it. This is back when kids uh, at one point in time, mustaches were considered extremely uncool. <laughs> As opposed to now, there's all, all the rich. <laughs> oh, wait, Matthew grows a mustache, too. I forgot. He grows a big, bushy mustache, and he thinks all the ladies will love it, but all it does is incite people to smack him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so many funny moments, but, like, uh, I, I was blown away. Come on, like how much fun they had offset. Uh, this was, like, a genuine good good group of friends. Like, like um you don't really, it's like, which is, I, don't, I guess, like, I, I don't know if they're just, like, other shows are just as good actors where they're not friends off set. But, like, there's, there's a few where, like, they are off set, like, friends, I think, some of the, the girls hung out off set. But according to, like, uh, Dave Foley, uh, he was saying, like, they all, they all went, like, like Maura Tierney and um, Dave Foley and Joe Rogan. And sometimes, Bill, they'd all go out after work and just throw them back, like, drink like crazy. <laughs> and, like, they all just, shit, they were telling me, because, like, all these shows are on the same lot, and I think at one time, Joey Lawrence had a TV show, and uh, oh, right, right, they were telling this yeah. one story. They would come outside the lot, and Joe, Joey Lawrence would be in, like, his new Ferrari, blasting his own music, <laughs> and, like, rocking out rocking out to his own music. And Dave Foley goes, like, you know what, somebody ought to tell that young man he's gay. <laughs> and, like, a... Like and like and he was saying like what a what a douche what a douche move like even if your music is great rocking out to your own music is just a weird move you know it's a weird kind of weird kind of move like even if you're a robber a plant you're not rocking out to your own music that's yeah, just a weird move. that's a Kanye West move I mean who does that that's a, a lunatic level of self promotion like it's totally stroking your 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 ego to the ultimate degree like you're not getting enough attention on air you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer that Matthew, sorry, Andy Dick, uh, despises his role as Matthew. He always calls him like the little retard or something like that, and you're just like, no, he was never stupid. I mean, I've been in Matthew's place. I actually connect more to his character than anybody else's because I've been the clumsy one, I've been the awkward one, the the goofball that people kind of give a hard time to, and he hates that character. And I'm just like, dude, it was only five years of your life. It got you other work so you could play different roles. Why do you step on that and so he's bad? Like that off camera, he's like he he does awkward things in interviews. I mean, it's not like he's that far removed from that character. I mean, it's not like, not exactly like you know, <laughs> like it's out out of his range. He yeah. he seems a lot like that guy. Maybe, maybe it's self hatred. <laughs> maybe it's uncomfortability and security that makes him feel like that. Yeah, he acts like he's he's the Fonz off off camera. He's pretty much a lot like that. Have you ever seen Division Three? It's on Netflix. It's really good. He plays like a lunatic football coach who's just out of his gourd. I uh, see like that that scroll across like the suggestion. Yeah. You know, you know when you scroll across, and then like you show images, and then you see his face like shouting like. And I was almost sucked out. Like I just never checked it out. Oh, but, it's, it's worth it. I really enjoyed it. He did. He. I mean, say it's my own fault because you know typecasting him, but like he just. I told me to believe he could pull off like a macho kind of character <laughs> in the football coach. Uh, for, yeah, for the most part, the cast has gone off in different directions. It's sad to hear that Maura Turney, who I'm starting to realize is my favorite actress, uh, that she had to drop out of parenthood because she uh, had breast cancer, and it's in remission now, oh, really? but I'm always worried that it's going to come back and, and we lose her again. Yeah, I mean, she had 
for a while. She was in um, a few movies, like uh, she was in Liar Liar, and she was in like um, with um, with Baby Mama or something or something like that. With um, or whatever it was called, with um, Tina Fey and Andy Poehler, right, whatever yeah, it was called. And uh, yeah, she had a few things, but yeah, I didn't know she had breast cancer. It's, yeah, she had uh, to drop out. She was in the pilot episode of Parenthood. Here's the funny thing: is she was replaced by Lauren Graham. Who was in an arc on news radio? She was one that was trying to like fix the radio station, and everybody kind of. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, she's only yeah, right. Oh, she Patrick was... Warburton was on there too for a while. I thought he became he tried to like take take over the station, and then he became homeless. <laughs> Somehow he became homeless, and then he tried to come back to marry uh, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Johnson. That's it. It was Jimmy James and Johnny Johnson. He was like the uh, Bizarro version of Jimmy. Yep. Yeah, he tried to like. Uh, yeah, totally. He tried to like take over the station and crush Jimmy, and then he ended up like getting thwarted himself, and then he became homeless, <laughs> homeless wino. <laughs> and uh, Joe Rogan, I think he was smart enough to embrace. I actually thought he was a pretty decent actor, but I think he was smart enough to embrace the fact that people are going to accept him as as the person, as who he really is. So of course he had Fear Factor, what for like ten years, but his podcast is really the thing that has been, I think, his best project. Well, it, it, it's it's huge. It's like probably one of the second more popular. I mean, besides Mark Maron's WTF, it's probably one of the more popular um, uh, podcasts. And I, you know, for for the longest time, I I always like, yeah, I would just pigeonhole him as like you know like a macho fighting douche kind of guy. Yeah. And I'm really I I I much thought like assumed he was the character in his radio. You know what I mean? But I listen to his podcast. He's really entertaining. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of his stand-up. It's okay. Not really my cup of tea, but it's not bad. You know, but his, his, he's, a, he's a great interviewer. And he has really, really good guests. And he and he's he's ridiculously intelligent. You wouldn't think, I mean, you think like this fighting UFC guy has got to be some kind of dimwit doofus, right? Well, oh, I punch people in the face. But he's, he's ridiculously smart, ridiculously intelligent. Um, and he's got great guests like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, uh, what's... Uh, uh, what's what's his face? Stephen Hawking. <laughs> uh, no. no. Uh, Hancock. Um, Graham Hancock. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, yeah, his, his podcast. <laughs> but, you know, like people, people from the intellectual world, people from the sports world. Right. Well, you can uh, see actors, his, mediums. His character that he played on news radio was kind of a jock bro, but. He always had like this um, odd twist where he was always inventing stuff, legitimate stuff. He was very smart. He's in conspiracies and stuff like that. But at the same time, they'd like switch it. And he'd be like, oh, "I'm gonna watch a Charles Bronson uh, triple feature or whatever." But it's he's like a real person. I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm really like simple and basic, and then sometimes I try to go really difficult. And that's when you know there's a good writer because they refuse to play to a certain type. Yeah, there, there was a couple times where he would be talking about the internet when it was kind of. And not really in its infancy, but it was like not wasn't like not everyone was was online at that time. And he was just talking about like, oh, what's on the internet? Forget it, it's out there. I mean, it's 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 like public information. And that was like not something. I don't think that was something that everyone had a had a general grasp on back then. He was like, yeah, he was kind of like he 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 wasn't um he didn't categorize as like the typical dumb jock. He was like you know he had some uh, some uh, some moments of like some moments of like kind of like a like 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 a blue collar genius, you know, right. in a way. Someone who maybe um, isn't book smart, but street smart. Right. And, uh, and that's, uh, go ahead. No, and that's, and that's kind of like, uh, that's, that's almost like kind of what he's like in a way in real life. He's kind of like a, uh, a, a jack of all trades. He's like, he's, he's in, in a little bit, bit of this and a little, little bit of that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's got a flourishing career in, in podcasting and doing stand up comedy. And, um, 
is, is really uh, and besides his USC commentating, he's really uh, he's really managed to to make a name for himself not acting. Yeah, and uh, Stephen Root, of course, you see him. He's like the epitome of the great character actors. He will show up in anything. I think it's funny that the first time I ever saw him was on an episode of In the Heat of the Night as a, like a racist. Oh, no. And then he was in Buffy. I remember he was the principal. He's like the weirdo principal. But he's found a way to do pretty much any type of role. The last I saw him was on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He plays uh, Joe Latrulia's uh, dad. Uh-huh. Or, or Boyle, whatever Boyle's, Boyle's dad uh, in like the uh, last season. But he gets married to Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, Chelsea uh, Peretti's mom in that show, but that's the last time I saw Stephen Root uh, in anything. But I'm sure he does. I, you know, he does voiceover work all over the place. I'm sure I, I've I've heard him and not not you know, not known what he was in. You know. Yeah, and Dave Foley. Yeah, well, yeah, like that that long too on King of the Hill. Yeah, uh, Dave Foley is the one who I really thought was going to break out as a leader. Yeah, I don't know what Dave Foley. We're having a delay in how we're talking here. Sorry, go ahead. I thought he'd be a lot of stuff too. Um, uh, but yeah, he just, no, yeah. I, mean, I saw him um, uh, a little while ago on uh, uh, Mark Maron's uh, IFC show that's on Netflix, um, where he had him as a guest. I haven't seen him really much, much of anything. Um, he's like he's gotten. I mean, he's aged a bit. He looks didn't look quite the same. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. He's not quite maybe the leading man look anymore. He's got a heavy and a little older looking. You know, yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with his. Uh, his marketability or not, but... Yeah, from what uh, the Mark Maron podcast, know. he was talking about the fact that his divorce was so extremely brutal that it just it just kind of broke him inside. And now he finds himself taking any work that he can get because his wife somehow got, I think, 150% of his monthly salary, which is impossible. And because of that, he can no longer go back to Canada. There's a delay, everybody. Wow. Yeah, sorry about that. No, it's okay. There is a delay. It's okay. I think it's probably time to wrap it up. Um, yeah, I would just say check out the show. You can get the complete series really cheap. If you want to, you can pick up seasons. Uh, like you know, They have like set one and two for like five bucks at some place like Fred Meyers and Walmart and stuff like that. And uh, WKRP, the complete series, is available at Shop Factory. You can catch episodes on Hulu. I highly uh, recommend both shows. And um, I think that's about it. Is there anything you want to throw in about the shows before we go? Oh no! And also, there's a bunch of random like I don't. There's a bunch of random like news radio uh, episodes and clips on YouTube. So I just you know, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, I haven't really checked for WKRP. There might be some on there as well. But yeah, de- definitely uh, check out news radio. It, you know what? What's the great thing about news radio is it still holds up. It's not. It's not dated. It still holds up. I mean, besides the fact that like they'll have some data reference, like when they still use radio cards. A lot of things are digital now. Yeah. And the computers may look a little old things of that nature but besides that it still really holds up it's, it seems almost current yeah Pretty I, good. i'm still stunned when i look at uh the desks and you see the computers the screens were so insanely deep and it's like your mind reels with that giant fact that we had it's so big <laughs> the giant monitors yeah all right so that is it for us with totally. this episode besides, besides that besides that no. hey tony um i'm gonna go ahead and uh just say our goodbyes is there anything uh you just want to say goodbye to everybody yeah, take it easy, everybody. All right, everybody. Keep I'm real. going to. Uh, <laughs> here's the one thing that I always thought was hilarious about WKRP is the closing theme song. I can't tell a single word that they say. Uh, oddly enough, since the first song, the opening song, everybody knows the words to that. But uh, let's see if you can hear this and find out what kind of garbage is coming out because it all sounds like someone's just drinking and uh, 
uh, just kind of rambled in front of a microphone and said the song, and then it's like, oh, we got it, we got to go, bye. <laughs> all right, uh, before that, I'll just tell you to check us out on Retro Rocket Entertainment for all the episodes of Stumbling Towards Adulthood and our other shows. And this is Michael signing off, and Tony, thank you very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. All right, everybody, have a good night. Everybody, I was going to play the end theme for WKRP, but while we were paused and I was setting it up, Tony remembered the basics of the song and how it went. And uh, how did it go again? I believe it goes well, something like this. I've been a hominom winner, hominom winner, but never hominom winner, hominom winner. <laughs> Something to that effect, right? Yeah, I'm almost <laughs> those are the words. <laughs> if memory serves me correct, I could never, uh, could never properly identify the words that you know that were coming out, but it's, it's my memory. It sounded a little something like that. Yeah, that is probably the closest. I think someone at one point probably tried to decipher and just said, "No, I got nothing. Let's just move on. I, I, got, I don't know what's going on here, but it sounds okay. So let's just go with this." <laughs> <laughs> like WKRP's answer to Louie Louie or something, you know? Yeah. Un, 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 unintelligible lyrics. Oh, it's, it's the eggs. It's, it's, like, it's a testament to the show itself that it was so unpredictable because the opening song is one of the most memorable things. Anybody could sing it. And then all of a sudden the last part is just the exact opposite. It's a perfect way to end that show and to end this show. So now that we've had a proper goodbye, good night, everybody. Everybody, welcome to Stumbling Towards Adulthood, our show where we basically discuss oddball, strange, just these random stories of our awkward teenage and college years. Uh, this is kind of one of those sporadic shows where I've done a chunk of them, then I'll go away for a while, do a chunk, and then go away, do a chunk. I think now on out, um, I'm going to do one episode at least a month. Uh, Tony, you have been uh, nice enough to basically be the victim for the last few episodes, so I guess we'll continue that trend. My pleasure, sir. So this episode, we're going to nickname Drunk Tales because I don't know anybody, really, who didn't at least have one good drunk story from the years of high school or college that uh, amuses them or embarrasses them that they wanted to discuss. So I figured we'll exchange a couple stories apiece uh, and then, you know, leave you guys alone. But um, for me personally, uh, drinking didn't actually start until college years. Did you ever experiment before that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, everybody had their first drink, maybe when their grandfather gives them a sip of their, their beer. Yeah, okay. I remember after, like, I mean, well, yeah, so that's, I mean, you're not getting shit-faced, but I mean, I remember when I was a little kid coming up home uh, from the Mummer's Parade, I um, stopped in this lady's house in South Philly in front of the family, and she gave me a little uh, a sip of vermouth at, like, six years old, which I guess, you know, I guess that was t- just to warm me up, which was, I guess, okay in some cultures. Yeah. But I remember getting destroyed when i was 13 and uh my mom for some reason always had liquor bottles in the house she never really drank never at the house it was always socially but i guess back then people just had liquor bottles in their house in case company would come over and you'd have a dinner party i guess people did that stuff back then yeah. uh i've never i've never seen anybody drink at the house but i only ever seen anyway, it in the movie she had bottles there yeah I, she had like bottles there and she just figured other oh, kids never gonna drink them why, why would he 
But I always remember, like, if you ever watched the old movies, like, where Humphrey Bogart, like, he's, like, going through something, like, yeah, leave the bottle. And then he'll, like, start throwing him back. But you never see him get, like, shit-faced. He's never throwing up on himself, stumbling, cast out in the gutter. I never, he just looks cool. He's like, yeah, I just drink. And, you know, then he takes the pain away. So I guess when I was, like, 13, I thought, uh, you know, oh, he, he's a cool guy. Does he? I'm going through something, you know, I guess. Get that girl and, and, and Homeck doesn't like me. So, uh, yeah, we're going to drink this. I think probably drank, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the bottle, maybe more. And I was rolling up all over the place. <laughs> and my mom wakes up. Uh, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I'm sick. Like you, something else is going on. What's wrong? Like oh, I drank a little of that uh, vodka downstairs, but what's the big deal? It's like, oh my god, how much did you drink? How much did you drink? Like, I don't know. How, how much is too much? I'm a kid, you know. Yeah, you so, have no concept. That was like how a, much your body can. Yeah, eat. yeah. I have no tolerance. I don't know. I don't know my limit yet, you know. So, oh uh, yeah, I was like totally destroyed. That was like, the very first time I didn't drink for a long time after that. Yeah, I think I had a sip of beer when I was like. Four or five, and it was just the nastiest thing I've ever had. And I've tried numerous times over, you know, those years to try, to, to just gulp down some, and it just—it's so nasty. I'm not a beer guy whatsoever. I, if you're gonna give me something, give me a hard drink or at least a girly drink, something with some sugar and fruit in it. But I, I don't—I do not understand the appeal of beer, even like those fine, like um, micro brews. You know, I've never bothered to attempt those because yeah. regular beer just destroyed it for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee if, if you weren't getting a slight buzz, it wouldn't have nearly the appeal. You don't see that many people who give up beer drinking non-alcoholic beers. Yeah. Pretty, I think it's slim, slim minority people who, who actually drink those. And microbrews, like, you know, you don't see craft, you don't see craft non-alcoholic beers. It's not really a market. <laughs> it's, it's not the greatest tasting beverage, you know what I mean, so... Yeah, I think I can, the, I, I can totally see why you won't like it. Yeah, uh, and of course, living in Portland, which is it's brew city, uh, not trying out the beers just seems like an alien kind of thing to do. But I just never bothered. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I once in a while, like um, uh, I just I just the the bitterness of like the IPAs, which are like so in vogue now. Uh, I'm not really following too well. I like them to be like I like like a Hefeweizen or like a Pilsner. I like them crisp and clean. I don't need like to drink like a, that heavy bitter aftertaste or like like heavy Guinness like I'm uh, like I'm chugging a loaf of bread or something you know. Yeah, <laughs> so disgusting to put it that way. Ugh. Yeah, that's basically what it is. They're so heavy, but I mean I've what I've been told it's like it's the lighter beers like those Belgian styles that really get you ripped. It's like those those are the ones you have to you have to worry about. And you know? it, during and the of course, high... oh sorry, go ahead. Oh no, but of course there's just mixed drinks too, man. Those those yeah. those will those will sneak up on you. Those also cost free, you can drink down really fast. They're, they're so expensive. That's true. <laughs> You're like that's, so that's why I guess that's a deterrent from chugging them down because you know you got to you need you need to make your make your wallet last throughout throughout the night. Yeah, going to that tiki bar, uh, the Alibi, uh, you look at the drinks, you're like, that sounds good. Oh, shit, 24, no, no, I, I'd have to get a loan for this. <laughs> yeah, I don't take a second mortgage out of my house before I buy a second drink. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how people can even afford, like, they go out drinking every weekend, you're like, how do you afford this? I have things like rent to pay. Well, when we were, um, we would always buy this uh, crap called Mad Dog 2020. Oh, geez, yeah, it's Mad like Dog. this. It's like, yeah, it's like malt liquor, um, I guess, but really strong, really strong, gets you tore up. And uh, we used to have, like, a liquor store attached to the mall, and we'd always get, like, um, we'd always find, like, a guy 
who would hang out with the mall rats, and he was 21, hang out with 14-year-olds, which is weird, but that was the way he would, like, hang out, because he's our guy who got us, who ran for us, yeah. went in there and got us, uh, you know, beers and stuff, and, uh, uh, and yeah, so he, we would get us, like, the uh, Nedog, came a bunch of different flavors, like, Glade, Strawberry, whatever, but I got so ripped on that, that once, um, I was with some friends, and, uh, we were just, like, just throwing it back, and then, we were in a parking lot, just, I just rocked up in mind, the cop asked us to get out, I must have been 16, and he has me face the car, and I just threw up on the car, oh. and, fell, and fell down, there's no way you can be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not drunk at all, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have the flu. And then, uh, uh yeah, just, it's so weird, I'm just, just uh, immediately sick, uh, you sickened me, sir, but, uh, he, uh. He, he threw me in a, in a holding cell. I had to stay there the night. And, oh, that's you know, bummer. Did you have like, to explain that to your parents later? You're like, um, where my mom had to cut. Well, I guess they called. They called her, and she's like, "Ah, I'm sleeping off in the drunk tank. I don't care. I'll get it tomorrow." And um, so yeah, I got like plus bloody fines me the next day. I got like public drunkenness. Uh-huh. Uh, what's it called? Uh, disorderly conduct. You know, underage drinking, out after curfew, and all this. You know, just tacking shit on. I'm like, oh man. So that was that was a rough night. <laughs> I think it's weird. The next During my high school years, I was one of the only people who had never really had one of those parties where, you know, no drinking, no nothing. I, I mean, I literally just did not go anywhere near alcohol until college. But all of my friends were like, oh, yeah, I had a bender last night. I feel terrible. I'm like, this is, is this normal? Is this what teenagers are supposed to do? Yeah, well, I had a gap. Like, I from like 13 and I had that really bad experience. I probably didn't drink again until I was like 17. You know what I mean? And then it just like, and it just hit, just hit shit hard. From like 17 to 24, I hit alcohol and other substances very hard for a very short window, and then I stopped completely. But yeah, so like I'm just making up for lost time, I guess. Yeah, I, it was when we got into college, we, like we knew another guy who was over 21. But it's it's more understandable when they're just like a year or two older than you. Whenever I hear that a friend of mine is like, you're 30 and you're buying drinks for people who are 14, what is wrong with you? And why would you do that? Why would you hang out or why would you take that risk? You know, they can't be paying you that much. Well, sometimes it's it's the Pennsylvania thing, but sometimes like the, the only places you can get beer is at like um, a bar for takeout or um, like a beer uh, beer distributor. Of course, liquor is they uh, they sell at the bars, but that's only sold at like state stores, liquor stores, and wine as well. So we would always try to like get a guy who's going into the bar and would give him money to see if he could run us out like a forty. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, a lot of times we'd be waiting outside for like hours. <laughs> They'd come out. Oh yeah, sorry, spending we fucking jack on son of a bitch. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so we yeah, we sometimes we'd be successful. Some of them run us out of uh, forty and drinking yell like a bunch of scumbags. But uh, and pizza places would have sell beer too, like takeout. And sometimes we would try to go in there to get uh, like a forty and like, uh, okay, I see some ID. I'm like, oh yeah, in the car. I'm like, Oh, I'll wait till you get it. It's okay. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> he saw through my plan. You know what I mean? So, of course, he had to come back in. Yeah, we ended up getting a guy who was just like a couple years older than us. He lived in the same wing as us. I was like, hey, can you get us something? And he's like, well, what do you want? And then, like, I, I, I had never chosen. I knew I didn't want beer. And I was like, well, what's easy to tolerate? And something maybe, you know, I, I've heard that some of them taste kind of sweet. I can probably tolerate that. And he's like, aftershock. And I'm like, what's aftershock? He's like, it's like peppermint. It's like it even crystallizes in the bottle. And I'm like, so what do you do with the crystallized? Goes, oh, you can just chunk it out and eat it like candy. I'm like, you mean I could walk around campus chewing this candy with alcohol in it and no one would know? He goes, well, they might know if you eat the whole damn thing at once, which 
<laughs> I, I, I did. I, I went to class drunk. I don't remember <laughs> anything from that day. I, I, I really don't. I don't even know why I started so early. I was like, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I have one more class to go. I'll be fine. Nope. I have no memory of going to art class that day. I, I, I could have sculpted something horrifying. I have no idea. Hey, you remember that day you, you did a giant dong out of clay? No. What the hell? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one time, um, <clears throat> but I had, like, a lo- I had a lot of, like, blackout drunk, you know, experiences. But I remember I was living in, like, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi at the time, and I was driving with some friends to um, Baton Rouge uh, to LSU's campus where they're having a party. And uh, so, like, uh, my friend, my friend slash roommate at the time was like, hey, what kind of, what, what kind of liquor do you like? I was like, yeah, I'll take a Glenfiddich, you know, sophisticated <laughs> malt liquor, single, uh, single blend. And I just proceeded to drink that all the way to Baton Rouge. It was like a two- or three-hour drive, if I remember. And I think I drank half the bottle <laughs> by, the, by the time I got there. Fucking shit face. I think I had a, a beer. I, I think I remember ordering a beer, but that's all I remember. And my Halloween costume was uh, Richard Simmons' costume that I what? bought from the, uh, the Goodwill store. That, yeah, so I had these knee-high socks, this, like, mesh kind of, like, football shirt, see-through fishnet deal going on, shorty short red uh, shorts, um, this, like, curly Afro wig, like, like light brown and, like, a, you know, headband so I could look like him. And, uh, yeah, the next morning, they're like, man, you did some crazy shits. Some fat lady bending over, and you were just pointing at his butt and laughing, like, going, like, hey, ha-ha, yeah, like, stuff like that. And I was like, what the hell? And then, like, I look at my legs, they're all, like, cut up and bleeding, and my knees are all, like, like, well, you fell, I was like, oh, well, you fell down a lot, dude. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I'm like, ah, thanks for helping me out, man. <laughs> if you hadn't told yeah. me, I thought I was attacked by a wolverine or something. Yeah, somebody attacked my legs. Did you have you ever been injured? Well, I mean, besides that, like seriously injured, like woke up like I broke my hand. What? Um, no, I usually would fall. I usually get ready to fall, and usually it's like a cushiony place, like a like a bed of grass somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most well, importantly, I see people like falling already... face face first. Yeah, your muscles. Yeah, are like, people kind fall of face. Relaxed. Right, totally. And you're like, you're kind of going, and they're like, I- I'm going to just, like, chill. I'm going to, uh, you know. And things you, like, you reason with. You make, like, these irrational choices, too. Like, you know what? No one's going to mind if I just crash on this lawn. Look how comfortable it is. They're going to wake up, like, I mean, that's a comfortable-looking lawn. Why wouldn't he just crash there? That's the kind of logic you start, like, I mean, if I just lay on this, like, it's right next to a bush. And if the guy comes out, it's like, well, you just wouldn't sleep one off. What's the big deal? But that's what you're thinking. It's like, there's like a, oh my God, there's somebody in my front lawn. Oh my God. You know what I mean? I'm just going to hang out in your swimming I, pool. I don't know you at all, but I'm just going to chill on, on one of your benches or your uh, your uh, flop chairs. And I remember having a conversation with my much less drunk friend at the time. And I was like, ah. yeah, he's like, you're like you can't lay down there. I was like, nah, nah. I'm just going to lay down there for like an hour. Two hours. No, dude. We'll keep going. You can't lay down there. You can't do it. It's like, Come on, come on, just for an hour? Like, no, no time. <laughs> you got to go. Uh, I remember I remember being very uh, drunk, and we're in the wing. We're in a quiet wing, and for some reason, me and my roommate thought it'd be hilarious. We had just watched a marathon of Brandon Stimpy while drinking uh, to scream out the window from the third floor where no one could hear us, uh, would you like to buy some rubber nipples? Not in the voice. Do you remember this episode of Brandon Stimpy at all where they go on door to door trying to sell rubber nipples? 
So yeah, we're just screaming, Would you like to buy some rubber nipples? Over and over and over at people. There's no way they could ever hear us. And all of a sudden, someone just kicks up and they're like, Would you shut the fuck up already? <laughs> <laughs> good times. Good times. You know what's Definitely. funny is looking back on it, I'm starting to think that my roommate might have been a closeted homosexual because every time we were drunk, he was always pretending to give people blowjobs. At the time, we thought it was funny, but mm. looking back on it, I was like, he did it a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. <laughs> I don't think he even knows, or that he just won't come, because he's, like, uh, engaged. Uh, I hope he never hears this. He's engaged right now to a woman. But that seemed a little strange. Like, well, maybe you're hiding something there, buddy. <laughs> Well, too eager to do that every time. Yeah, we're like, I have pictures of him pretending. I'm like, that, that's like 12 times in like a, a month period. That's that's too much. I mean, and if he is, <laughs> uh, more power to him. If he, he just needs to like be honest with himself. Right. Um, so I didn't really start drinking heavily, though, until I broke up with someone. And I was just like, I got to forget about them. And I look back now that it was excellent that the relationship ended because... It was toxic. It was totally toxic by the time I was like, she's so fucking hot. She's way out of my league. <laughs> uh, and I was like, but, and I'm the one who chose that I did not to communicate with her anymore, like just to cut her off. And I was like, I've made a mm. poor decision. Like alcohol walked me through that. And there are times when I am surprised I'm not dead. Like that was a lot of alcohol, a lot of mixing alcohols. And I made a lot of mistakes. Have you ever done that? Like to drink? Yeah. Water? See, like I, after the bad break, I don't, I find alcohol like works well for me. Like it, um, it makes me dwell on stuff more. It doesn't like uh, I don't find it to be soothing. It, like I always, I still did it anyway because that's kind of like you're supposed to do. But uh, I always found like it made me dwell on stuff more. Like it made me more depressed. You yeah, know? I found myself but... doing things like you're so great, man. You're so talented. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You should be doing this because you're so funny and stuff like that. And I'm just like, it's not that funny. What the hell. <laughs> So did you did you guys have like a hard time getting um alcohol when you're underage, or did you guys have to do like these no. elaborate tricks? And we had a really? friend who lived in the apartments and not the dorm, so it was much easier to get away mm. with stuff. And he was a year older than us. Plus, his daddy uh, ran like this big, expensive hotel in Chicago, so he pretty much used to getting whatever he want whenever he wanted. And he always found a way to get tons of alcohol for us. Uh, I believe my roommate at the time had just hit twenty one. I was twenty. And um, so mm. I was the only one that was basically out of the loop. So they just go grab stuff, and I drink whatever they brought back. Uh, lots of hard liquor, man. Lots of hard, tons of whiskey, vodka, uh, Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. Um, and then for some reason there was always Boons. I guess that was for the people who didn't really want to get trashed. But um, yeah, I do know that I mixed Boons and Mad Dog Twenty Twenty after chugging a bunch of whiskey and throwing up everywhere. Everywhere. Just I, I, imagine. Well, I, I, this is what I remember of the night. Uh, I started off with the whiskey, uh, which is weird that I would start off with that. That's kind of like a middle to end kind of thing. Uh, and well, then, according to the old saying, liquor before beer in the clear. So. <laughs> and then I had the Mad Dog, and then I finished off with the Boons, and then I we said, let's go get some fresh air. Let's go walk around. It's dark and everything. And I'm smoking a cigar, which also adds to the nausea factor that will come in just a few minutes. Uh, I remember yeah, there was a girl that I was really into, and I was talking to her and everything, and I was like, here's my cigar, hold it. She's like, why? And I go, I, I gotta pee. She's like, what? And I, right in front of her, I go and pee on the, um, uh, what do you call that? The, uh, com, you know, the lunchroom, we, the buffet, uh, commissary. Um, 
I just start okay. I just start whizzing right in front of her on the commissary, so that ruined pretty much every chance I ever had with her. Of course, at the time though, it seems like perfectly perfectly acceptable thing to do. Yeah, it's like drunk like, Roger. I didn't walk around the corner; I just walked like ten feet away and just start urinating. And I'm sure she was like, <laughs> "Oh, he's so hot." And then I remember making it. You think that? What's that? You're probably thinking, yeah, what's, what's the big deal? I got to pay. He's probably thinking that's cool, you know? Yeah, and I remember making it into Walgreens. And uh, it was about halfway through our experience. I'm, like, looking at magazines. I'm like, this image is not so stable. God, I got to go. And then I make it about a block out of Walgreens, and I'm up against a tree hurling and hurling. You always get that one dick friend who thinks it's hilarious that you're throwing up, which feels like death to you. And he's like, hey, hey, do some more. And you're like, you're an asshole. Blah. <laughs> being so hungover the next day we thought it would be a brilliant idea to go to the Chinese buffet I'm uh, pretty sure you can figure out how this one ends yeah dude <laughs> uh, for some reason I found that some of the worst hangovers I always had were like with uh, red wine um, really? I, yeah cause it's like the tannins in wine that like that add to the hangover I've been told but like I was uh, when I lived in uh, Biloxi like I worked in the hotel with these uh, like these uh, I don't know these uh, seasonal student workers from like Argentina and Croatia and uh, Brazil and stuff, and they all were drinking like warm red wine. And like uh, the Croatians, they, I don't, I don't know if it's all Croatians or people who are just maybe from their town, but they mix red wine and coke, and it doesn't work. But they, they swear it's like a drink. Uh, and if I was just drinking, I'm like, hey, you guys are fucking with me. But they were drinking it too, so I was like, Ugh. but it was just not. And then like I had like, I swear I had a hangover for like two and a half days afterwards. <sighs> It was just so bad. It was like the headache would just not go away. I mean, like the night of, I had like the spins. I was like, oh, this is this is deadly. And then like tomorrow, I'll feel good. Nope. Well, definitely the next day after that, I'll feel good. Nope. nope. I was like, ah, oh, this is the worst. Fuck you, wine. You know, like, well, never like, drinking you again. You don't want to eat or drink anything because you feel like anything that touches your stomach is going to make you hurl again. But you have to replenish those yeah. electrolytes, and your brain is just telling you no, don't do it. But you, you know, you know better. You're like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. And uh, I remember, right. like, we went to get breakfast one morning after a hangover, and uh, I wanted desperately. I was like, okay, I kind of know a little bit about this. I need to absorb some of this with, um, like, you know, carbs. So, you know, I got to have some pancakes and stuff like that, and it's a fairly calm morning. And then uh, there's this guy who was obsessed with the new Godzilla movie that was coming out, the one with Matthew Broderick, and uh, oh, yeah, I remember that one. decided to walk through the commissary doing at the top of his lungs and that's the closest i have ever come to murdering someone i wanted him to die so badly i'm so hung over right now shut your face i mean nobody should be doing that at nine o'clock in the morning on a sunday anyway irregardless of whether you're drunk i mean what a dumbass true very true <laughs> yeah i mean part of the reason why we want like i, I mean i didn't get because get so drunk so much is because uh, you know, it's kind of tough to get served when you're underage in um in, in my neck of the woods anyway. Much easier for us to get weed than it was to get like like alcohol seemed unattainable. Like yeah. it was so tough to get weed. So, but we had a guy who could just drop off weed to our door. It was, See, that, like, it was the exact opposite. And me. you know, weed was so hard to get at our campus. And I remember I got some once, and it was just like this is what, what weed is. This is a it's terrible. It was like you know junk weed, rat weed. Dirt swag, yeah. Well, this was like pre-college. This is this was when I was like, you know, 15, 16, 17. I guess I was more like 17. And uh, this guy, this Jamaican kid, uh, he was he was American, but his family was Jamaican. 
and he would just like rip us off all the time. Then once we realized what other people were getting and how much we were paying, we're like, all right, we're clearly getting ripped off. <laughs> so we made these like we would make these dodgy drives into the city. You know what I mean? Into like the not the nicest areas in North Philly. And you know, when you're a white guy driving, a couple white kids driving in a predominantly black part of the city, people know what you're there for. So we would go to these like little uh, stores that like uh, sold some products, I guess, but they, you know, predominantly sold weed. And I guess it was, I don't know how they were able to operate because I think it was kind of common knowledge what they were doing. <laughs> but uh, we, would always, we would always buy, because, you know, there's like bulletproof glass. I mean, a lot of stores are not like a bulletproof glass and little turntable that you spin to get stuff in and out. But I mean, everything, it's just like movie Half Baked where they would go in the stores and the, the products were all old and stuff. It was the same deal like this. Like all the, uh, it was crazy old and outdated and they were finding it. And they'd always ask us if we were cops. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm the Doogie Hauser. I'm Doogie Hauser from Cops, man. I'm all 17. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there you was plenty Jump Street, and, I guess, that warped people's brains thinking everybody was 15, but it actually was 22. And then there was that thing, like, if they asked you if you're a cop, you had to say, yeah, you were. Like, that would be entrapment or something. Because yeah, you bullshit. couldn't be undercover and, and lie. It's like, no, I could totally say lie and say I'm not if I am. Yeah, I don't know where that even started. Like, somebody just like, oh, yeah, they have to tell you. No, actually, they don't. But what was cool about that, we would get, like, our little dime bag of, you know, shitty weed. Um, I'm sure they saved the best for the white kids who came there. Yeah, I'm sure they did. It was probably crappy. Um, Actually, we did an experiment one time. We uh, brought one of our black friends. We let him go in first, get his bag, and we went in, and then we kept care of I knew they were ripping us off because they took him up. They, you know, intentionally fucked us over. But, you know. Yeah, I was just, so... just a little experiment to see it. So I mean, we were like, we're trying. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying this guy's racist towards us, but I mean, <laughs> we try out this theory. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, uh, I was so used to terrible weed, which I only tried like every once in a while. And I was like, well, I'm hungry and tired all the time anyway, so why would I pay for it? And then someone brought something in that was more powerful, and I wasn't prepared for mm. it. All I know is that uh, from what my friends tell me is I was in Walmart without my glasses, completely blind, wandering around trying to find peanut butter pretzels. And crying when I ran into someone that I knew but I couldn't recognize, and I panicked, and they found me crying by the front checkpoints and had to take me out. I, I don't. I yeah. Don't know. Well, we we're used to just getting that little crappy brown swag with all a bunch of Steve's and shit in it. That seemed so common at the time. Like I don't think any place has ticket like that anymore. Like no, if you bought weed with seeds and scented in it these days, you'd be so angry. Back then, that was just, like, commonplace. Yeah, it's kind of like I, uh, I mean, potato chips. To... How potato chips now are so elaborate and, like, fine, like, uh, flavors that no one else will make. But, you know, 20 years ago, it was just, yeah, you right. got barbecue, that's it. And, and it's kind of like that with weed. It's like, oh, you got the junk weed, you got the expensive weed. You can't afford the expensive weed, you get the junk weed. Now it's, like, 4,000 strains. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I didn't get, I didn't try any, like, the fancy, which would be normal weed these days until, like, I went to Amsterdam. I was doing a semester abroad in England, and I went to Amsterdam for the weekend. And I like I just you know went in Rome. I went to some of the coffee shops, sure, you know, uh, partaking some of the uh, the local culture. But uh, I went and I tried some there. I was like, what the hell is this? This is <laughs> this is uh, this is ridiculously stronger than stuff I ever had. Is this what weeds like? Is this real <laughs> weed? What's in this? You know? Yeah. Now it's legal but, here, yeah. which has to make you a little jealous. A little bit. Of course, I was out there uh, in March. And I, when in Rome, I maybe, you know, hmm. partook a little bit of the devil's lettuce. You know, maybe, I don't possibly. My, <laughs> I don't offend my Portland brethren. I uh, partook a little bit. Of course, I couldn't take any back with me. or You know, so. But I did buy illegally just to say I did, and then gave it away as a gift. Yeah. 
but um but that was uh that, that was that was cool it felt great to like you know to, to, to buy it legally did uh, then, uh you know pass, did, pass um, along were you ever under the influence and interested in someone then when like it wore off you're like oh god what am i doing oh yeah yeah we're talking to somebody first night, I was like, oh jeez uh i i i'm not like there's nothing wrong with like heavier girls you know what i mean but the only time they really ever seemed really appealing to me is when i was drunk and i really had an experience one time at a party where i had like a heavier girl was on like laying on my arm and it was hard rolling her off of me really hard i was one arm i had no kind of leverage she was larger than me and uh and then a girl who i ended up dating later was like laughing at me while i was trying to do that you know what i mean <laughs> And uh, the next the next morning, and uh, you know, if that was charming to her, you know, I mean, you know, that's a one night stand. But uh, yeah, but the cool thing about when we went down to the city to get like our crappy weed is um, there was like a Korean like a uh, little grocery store that sold us like twenty two ounces, little twenty two ounce bottles of like Heineken and stuff. Hmm. No ID required. They, they they could care less. They just they didn't care. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, Korean culture. Or, but you know, I had a, my money's little rotating bulletproof plexiglass contraption, and then she, you know, she had gave me the, the bottle of uh, beer, and that was all. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I, maybe, maybe you just think all like, uh, you know, making guys look young for their age. I don't know, but yeah. So that's a, that would always be like a bonus when we would make that kind of at times sometimes risky uh, drive down to like a not so nice side of town you know well i think it's strange that how it's changed over the decades is that there's been more and more crackdowns now there's these huge fines you get your license taken away uh liquor license i mean so businesses are really cracking down but yeah right i remember back in the day you could just look oh you have a mustache all right then that would be it it was like all right i guess they believed us so it's really <laughs> lax back then and now enough for me and now you have to like you know a blood sample, a thumbprint, and a, and a witness, and a background check to buy a beer. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that would have been the case for them. I just didn't see anybody complaining in that neighborhood. That must have been the case. But I, I there was a local bar um, uh, in my in my like, uh, suburb of Philly that got really nailed hard for allowing underage drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. And, it's uh, uh now... I'm go ahead. Sorry. I'm, so, I mean, I'm just surprised he didn't lose his liquor license. He ended up like like uh it down much later, not for that reason, but that was like the worst kept secret in town that you know, if you wanted to drink and you were one of age, you can just go there. Well, it's it's strange. I don't know if all the uh the targets or retail places have been doing this, but when I moved to Napa, that one sold hard liquor. And you're like, Whoa, beer is Ooh. one thing, but you're talking scotch, whiskey. Uh by the way, I've never tried scotch. I've never tried those like drinks you always hear sophisticated people drink, like martinis and stuff. Never appealed to me. Have you ever had yeah. any of those? Uh, when I went to Chicago to visit my friend, I had a – the only kind of martini I can drink is a dirty martini. That's because they make it with um, olive juice. Sounds gross, but that really – it cuts the it cuts the liquor, the saltiness, which is why they put olives in martinis in the first place. Because oh. the saltiness um, the saltiness cuts through, like, the gin and vermouth. and uh, It's mostly, mostly vodka in a martini, which I'm not a big fan of vodka, period, anyway. But so vodka and gin, and it really helps cut – through the alcohol makes it a little easier to drink, you know, makes it a little smoother. Yeah, I and I like it. I like it extra, extra dirtier because it makes it even easier for me to drink. You know? Yeah, it's. It always seemed like out of my realm. I was like, uh, 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a wine or a cheese connoisseur. Like, I like, oh, yeah, this one's aged, and this one's smoked, and this one's, you know, a mixture. Ooh. You're like, oh, I like that kind of thing. But if someone said that it was alcohol, <laughs> Fromage. Nah, I'm like, man, I'm okay. I don't need the, the, the fancy wines or the uh, – actually, I just don't drink anymore anyway because um, there was one time where I was pretty certain I was borderline food or uh, alcohol poisoning. And even the smell of alcohol would turn me off. I've had maybe three or four drinks since then, but I got to the point now it just kind of makes me mm. sick to my stomach. So I, I don't do it at all. Yeah, I really don't for the most part either. The last time I think I had a beer, which was about beers a year. It's always socially. But, I mean, for the most part, alcohol is a toxic substance. I mean, there's just no way around it. Yeah. I mean, the way you have to, you have to ferment it uh, so it becomes so you can get intoxicated. And uh, just 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 to make it just to make it so it could you know get you drunk, but it's like it, it will it like damages your cells. It's like you always feel like shit afterwards. And the reason is because it dries you out. Yeah, you know it's really not good for you. It's not good for your skin. It's not good for your, you know it's not good for your organs. It's not good for any part of you. you know? I I look at the people. And now, I guess they're you and I both look young yeah, I mean, for our age, and I think a lot of it's because we don't do a lot of those things. Yeah, that's that's why I find most people I know uh, who have also had tend to look better for their run it's because they don't they they really drink when they do it socially and that's that's typically the reason yeah there's a lot of people in this town with yeah, red you, noses i'll say that oh well yeah that's like what, what do they call that uh they call that a gym blossom or whatever when you get like the big fat red nose or whatever that's yeah. like what it's uh who's the comedian you bother me kid you bother me right. oh uh he's from he's from philly too um god damn it <laughs> what's that guy's name uh shit it's initials right uh, <laughs> i know you mean uh yeah, yeah, something, something, something. Shit, but that's all, that's what I always. <laughs> Don't worry, kid. Yeah, you bother me, kid. You bother me. Uh, WCPO. Yeah, he's he. There you go. I'm Philadelphia. Used to work for Wanakers in uh, Center City, but uh, little known fact. What was the struggle? Anywho, have but, you uh, ever been tempted yeah. to go beyond the simple stuff, the simple what? tastes, if you want to call them? You know what I mean? How do you mean? Like the white powder or other things. Uh, you know what? Stimulants were never my thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I'm sure I'll tell you before, but I have, I, I always like, uh, like the natural kind of drugs, even though we did mess around with like, um, the hallucinogens, yeah. you know? So that was, that was kind of our thing. We were always trying to get like mind fucked. <laughs> that was our thing for some reason. So we always did it. Like the weed was the big thing with us. Alcohol kind of secondary, but, uh, weed was the big thing. And then occasionally we would do um, microdots, which are basically it's like concentrated mescaline, which is the active ingredient in uh, like the peyote uh, little buttons. Oh, so yeah, they extract yeah. mescaline and put in the, they put in these little tiny pills called microdots, and they also like cut your speed. The only time I ever took speed is when I took those microdots. Never did a cut though. But that was the extent of it. Like I never really did. Um, you know, I think I I may have done uh, PCP one time, Whoa. mind you, because I think. Well, hold on. The joint was lace. I'm not 100 sure I did, but I took oh. a hit of it. Like, no way, dude. This tastes. No, 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 no. This is something else. Nope. No, man. It's fine. Uh, uh. I. This is because it has a distinct smell. It's like a burning rubber smell, and the taste is pretty bad too. And I can smell it. Taste my like, Nope. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, talk to somebody who just t- touch weed for the first time. This isn't it. No, thank now, you. I never so, heard any uh, bad stories with weed except for my own ridiculous nonsense. But but I would ever he- I would hear about other stuff. My friends like, oh yeah, I did this last night. Oh my god, I was like, that's how you want to feel? That sounds horrible. Yeah, I had an anxiety attack for twelve hours. It was amazing. I don't I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's another thing. Like, I don't know about you, but in my uh, like um, middle school, that when Len Bias, the the basketball player who's supposed to be like the next Michael Jordan, the heir apparent, he died of like a cocaine over- overdose. Whoa. Like his first time trying it, you know? Yeah, he was like he was huge, this huge collegiate basketball star. Supposed to be, got drafted, celebrated. He did the cocaine and he died, heart attack. I'm like, that's gonna be my luck, man. I'm gonna try it the first time and I'm gonna die. So yeah, I just know. Like do stuff. Nothing else will I do that's gonna make me die. So nothing going, and also nothing going on my nose, nothing going into my veins. You know oh, what I mean? That always no sneaks no. me out. Yeah, so I don't want to get anything up my nose or anything in my veins. That's just gross. So I'm like, I'm not doing that. But yeah, we did do a lot of like, um, because a lot of hallucinogens, probably in retrospect, um, way more than I'm sure a lot of people our age did. Yeah. But uh, we were such like. I remember for in our high school we have what's called Senior Week. So if you live in like suburban Philadelphia, the Jersey Shore is like an hour and a half away. The Southern Range. So you got like your Atlantic City, your Seattle City, Ocean City, New Jersey, Wildwood, etc. So uh, usually when you're senior, um, somebody rents a house down there and you guys party and everybody celebrates. Graduated high school. So by that point, like I graduated high school a year early, um, but I still hung out with my friends, the same class. Uh, but uh, so I, we were already like we were like weed veterans and like hallucinogen veterans. So it wasn't a big deal for us to just you know do that. But we gave one of our uh, classmates. He wanted to like you know try some of it. So we gave him like half of a microdot, and he was just lost in shit. He was like in the fetal position on the front lawn, oh, like terrible. shaking and crying. I was like, I I just forgot that we've been doing this for so for such a while that we were like, but this is just you know we were used to it. I never had that kind of reaction. I guess if you're just he, he moved from, like, having two beers right to the big leagues, like, right away. So it's like that he didn't have, like, a transition like we had. Yeah, I'm a control freak, Probably. and I am paranoid. And I, I already knew about a friend who would uh, – I guess she dropped too much acid, and, and now she would get regular anxiety attacks out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm mm. never going to do that ever. Yeah, we were always cognizant of the fact not to do too much. We always heard of people going. It was just one of those old um, – all those other myths that if you take too much, you'll be permanently schizophrenic. Yeah, I've heard horror stories whatsoever. like that. Yeah, so we were always trying not to do that. And then, like, we were told that if you do, like, well, the thing with that, at least the least, if you do, like, four dots one day, you have to, like, double the next day because for some reason it doesn't, it, it, you have to do more in order to feel it. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's the way it seemed to work for us. And uh, the one day, I think I had a, uh, some mixed-up punch with, I think, 12 crushed dots in it. Oh. I don't really know how much I had. And we were told that if you do more than eight at a time, that's enough to make you go permanently crazy. Holy I don't shit. think there's any validity to that, but that's that's just what we believed, you know, because we heard it somewhere. So I'm like, I'm like how many dots? Were like, I don't know, maybe 12. Like, how much did we drink? I don't know. We tried to do the math. You had this much to drink. I had this much of this punch to drink. Holy shit, are we going to lose our minds? We're like, I don't know. And then we start laughing. I don't know, man. Probably, you know. <laughs> We're just like, ah, well, I guess we're losing minds tonight. Oh my you god, know, that's I'm, I'm surprised you are. <laughs> you, the fact that you're so coherent right now is actually pretty good because I, I, you know, that could have done some damage. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's got a cumulative effect. I'm sure. Like, I'm really forgetful these days. I'm sure it's because of like, you know, like back then we thought, you know, I was able to have like a decent B average all throughout college while I was drinking a bunch, smoking a bunch, and doing other things, you know. And I still maintain my grace here when I thought I'd be fucking failing out because I'm like, I'm not going to forget everything. But I find that, you know, the, the damage comes later, you know, down the road. Yeah. You can't, like, where did I put my hat? Oh, on my head. Right. 
it's just us getting old you know? or distracted. You have a lot more on your plate now than you ever have before. So your mind's well, like yeah, thing. So we can just blame that instead. I, 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 I like what you said, sure. That's what I'm gonna... <laughs> All right, so I think that brings us I, to I, the I like end to I was just thinking I'm going into dementia earlier. I'm just having to be on Alzheimer's. That's what I like. Oh, God, that's horrible. Uh, I don't want to end on that note, but uh, let's just say that was fun. It's fun to get some of the stuff off the plate. Uh, it's also nice that you, like me, are not as restrained as some other people I could possibly do the show with. So it's a lot easier just to talk. Um, so if you like what we're doing here, just let us know. We're going to try to do at least one entry a month. Uh, I have a full-time job. You have a full-time job. You have kids. Uh, I have lame excuses, yeah. so it's it's hard to do it on a regular <laughs> basis. So once a month, we'll attempt to find a new topic to discuss and uh, check us out on Retro Rocket Entertainment under wait, sorry, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. Did I, I am I drunk right now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, thank you for joining me for this episode. No worries, man. No worries. My pleasure. All right, and that is us uh, wrapping up everything. And uh, have a good night. Be excellent to each other.